everybody, and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends getting better. I am Ben Hansen. Thank you for being here. I'm joined by Kyle Hilliard. Oh. Okay, well, he's all over the place technologically. Uh, we're joined by Janet Garcia. Hey, what's up? And Kelsey Lewin. Hi. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is a big, fun, special week. Uh, we're talking all about the rise, parentheses, again, of handheld gaming. Somehow, 2022 has become a big year for handheld, so we're going to break it all down by talking about the Playdate. We're going to talk about the Steam Deck, talk about some other odds and ends, and then we have some great questions in the back half of the show submitted over on Patreon. Um, and a lot of them are about handheld gaming. So thanks to everybody who submitted something wonderful. There's too many good things to go through each and every week. Thanks to your support. Uh, hey, Janet, how's it going? It's pretty good. Yeah. I feel like, is that a leading question? Like, am I supposed to, I'm like, do I have something prepared for that? Here's the, the thinking was, oh boy, we could dive right into it, but I feel like we're missing something, some like, form of know. light banter. I've just been cranking it up. Like, I, what do you want me to say here? Yeah, okay, that is the thing. So you have been really prepping a lot of coverage for the panic playdate on your yes. own site. It seems like you're really going all in on covering this thing, but everybody has played this little funky handheld with a crank, right, Kyle? Yeah, yeah. Kyle, actually, look, that was a leading question as well because I knew that because Kyle came over to my house to pick up my Playdate because technically I have two because full disclosure, the first one they sent me didn't exactly work. Like unlocking it was kind of a mess and all this stuff. So who knows what that means for when they're sending out a bigger batch to everybody. But uh, Kelsey, you have ordered one, but you don't have it yet, right? I have two ordered. They have shipped and I've played around with a, a couple friends of mine, you know, press press kit play dates so i've played some of the games and then and i played it um whatever that pax was that they were at was that pax 2019 maybe that they they had playable units at okay um so I, i've and i've been following this thing forever <laughs> why what i know you're a connoisseur of handhelds uh focusing on the history of handhelds and all that stuff but what about this uh, has got your interest in a big way um I mean, we we can get into the whole thing, but I, I yeah. think that, um, and I'm sorry, there's going to be some dogs barking in the background, apparently. Every, everyone in my house is really excited about it. Um, it's it's just very up my alley, which is that I'm someone that really likes small, kind of bespoke experiences that are tailor-made for being a, a small thing that you do on the go, Um and that that are that are made with like some kind of weird limit in mind. Like, hey, we're right. we're not trying to make like video game, and that could be anything. It's like we're trying to make a very specific, curated, small experience. And I tend to be really into those. So, um, I I mean, and yellow is my favorite color, so that helped too. Yeah, that's <laughs> in a big way. Like, that's interesting. What it is, or what is it? Do you think about that idea of like limiting the creativity for developers? Is it just like, all right. Let's see how creative you can be within this tiny box go. Yeah, I just think it's I think it's a fascinating experiment, you know? I mean, video games can really be anything um in the same way that like a book can be anything or a movie can be anything. So when you start giving people like prompts basically, like yes. you know, a writing prompt but for a video game, you you end up with some weird things that I think wouldn't come out of the like limitless blue ocean of make whatever the heck you want. Totally. And that is, yeah, probably the best way to describe the Playdate is it's a weird little experiment. So if you don't remember this thing, we talked about it before, but it is a little handheld device, black and white, 
but still, it's got some 3D graphics in there. You know, the games might surprise you. It's not going to be all retro throwback stuff. But the big defining characteristic, other than being cute and yellow, is it's got a frickin' crank on the side. Which is confusing to a lot of people. Like, I had it sitting on a table, and I had uh, like a party at my house this weekend, and everyone's like, oh, is it like a handheld where, like, you crank it to power it? It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is just for the novelty of it. And this is from Panic, who you might be familiar with. is like the publisher of... Firewatch, an Untitled Goose Game. They have a bizarre track record, and it seems almost like a a dare that's gone too far on their end of like, yeah, what if we made a handheld device? Like, looking into the history of it, the way they've described it is uh, the folks over there are like, well, we really like the Nintendo Game & Watch, and we like old, funky handhelds. What if we made one of those, but then it just kept delivering games consistently, and it wasn't locking you into one? Um, Janet, I know you've been pouring thousands of hours into the plated experience so far do you have like a high level takeaway what's your overall review of this thing yeah overall i really went back and forth on it a lot um which i can get into more later where i was super into this idea uh, much like kelsey i'm like i'm here for like the weird stuff love handhelds and then i got it and i'm like oh i'm not feeling this and then it came back around and it left again and it came back around and so it's been kind of up and down for me throughout but ultimately i did land on um i gave it a three out of five which is good mm-hmm. Um, on my scale and I landed there ultimately because I think it does do a lot of things well Um, but the biggest con I think of the device by far are both the ergonomics of it which are very Hmm. mixed in my opinion at least in my experience Um, and also the the fact that it doesn't have a backlight I think those are the two biggest cons to it Um, everything else I feel like the games are enjoyable. They're really diverse. Um, I do say that there is no like if you're someone that needs, you know, must play experiences, game of the year level experiences. I would say this doesn't quite deliver on that. But I would also argue that it doesn't have to. Like, I think if you yeah. want that, like if you're looking for like, what's the si- there's no system seller on the play day. Like, I know some people are really standing like whitewater wipeout, but like really? there's no one single game where I'm going to say every, you know, video game fan needs to have this. This is for people who are like. The weird art kids, the yes. collectors, the like the people who bought that new game and watch when it came out, you know, the people who love getting like bundles on itch.io and playing weird, funky stuff. The people that, you know, search low to high on the eShop. Like if you're someone like that, if you like Apple Arcade, like if you're into those kind of experiences, I think ultimately you will find fun to be had here. But there are definitely plenty of cons to the system. And it's not one that I like think everyone needs to play or would recommend to everyone. It's one that I'm like, hey, here's the information on it. Use that to decide whether or not this would make you happy. And then also, if you care about spending the money, I know some people are like, I can't believe it's 180. It doesn't have a backlight. And we can argue about how egregious that is or isn't. But I feel like ultimately, okay, well, if you feel that way, I would say don't get it because you are... I feel salty and not you, having a backlight. I was yeah. still okay with it, but it, it really did suck not having a backlight. But it is very bright, even though it doesn't have a backlight. People think, I think when we say that, people assume it's going to be as dark as the Game Boy. It is not nearly like that. Like, they almost get away with it with how reflective the screen is. Right. But I still notice. <laughs> it, is, it is very dark. Like, I have, like, a reading light above my couch, and so I have to blast that. And then playing on this thing is an absolute dream. But I've had a couple of those situations. Like, okay, I'm going to go try and play it in bed. And it's like, okay, I have to no, angle it just can't. right to try and see things. Yeah. And then when you combine that with like the ergonomics, I'm like, like you know, it really is like, you know, when you move handlebars on a bike because you can't quite get it steady. Sure. That is sometimes what it's like playing on the plate because you are pushing and pulling against the console when you are moving the crank. Now, granted, not every game has you like 
cranking it at lightning speeds or That's anything. Right. So it's not like it totally ruins the experience, but that is part of like the ergonomic funkiness. And I think the lack of backlight also adds to like the negative ergonomic experience because you, you are limited in the kind of ways you can position yourself depending on yeah. lighting and all that. I, I think the message is out there, but they played it. I, you're a lunatic if you're coming with this thing expecting to get the game of the year experience. I think that idea of like, hey, you pay 180, you get this funky handheld and it's going to be slowly trickling out. Well, so specifically what it is, it's two games. So they have season one rolling out right now, which is a 12 week period. And so it's two games every week will unlock with a beautiful little present unwrapping animation. You can jump in here. And so, yeah, you can, you compare it to like itchio and stuff. I think that's an interesting comparison, except it's just, it's a very easy, convenient way to get some underdog games. Here's a couple of indie titles that we've curated for you and we'll deliver it to you. And I think it's a cool, smart system just to have it be water cooler moments of like talking to friends and be like, oh my God, did you think about this? Which of these two games is your favorite? Or like on Twitter, it's going to be, you know, the big thing, hopefully, maybe of people talking about these two indie games that release every week for this thing because it makes it seem like a cool present, which, you know, just for indie exposure, I think is really rare to have like a focused thing of like, okay, everybody, these two this week, these two this week. It's like, you know, it's like a, the deepest dive of indie games. It's a little game club experience almost, you know? Yeah, I think club is the exact right word. It's like being part of a little club. And and I mean, to Janet's point, it really is just like, this is not meant to be for everybody. Yeah. And I think you know if you're the kind of person who is excited about an experience like this. And if you're not and you're confused, then like, yeah, of course you're going to be like, why is this $180 and I don't get it and, you know, I could... I could buy almost a whole PS4 with that or, or PS5 with that or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's it, it's definitely not a thing that is meant for, like, a wide audience. It's meant for... I, I like your art kid and, like, theater kid comparison, Janet. It's, like, a little, it's a little bit for us weirdos, I think. It's, it's, it's a, yeah. a little offbeat. <laughs> yeah, it's a curated hipster experience if you're really into that angle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, <laughs> so I know you don't like going in the deep end on... Steam and whatnot, because you do kind of like that curated, clean console experience. So I'm curious about your take on yeah. this thing after playing a little bit with my broken one. I mean, it's not that broken, by the way. Oh, it's you just got like it sometimes like on yeah, unlocking the screen was kind of inconsistent. Yeah. But otherwise, it seemed good. Um, honestly, like the only negative thing I have to say about it is the backlight stuff. Really? Like, not being able to see it. I really like it. Like I like the way it I like the ergonomics of it. I like the way it feels. I know we say like this isn't the thing I, I feel like that kind of surprised surprised me almost is like, I know we said like, and I agree with you guys. It's like this this is not going to have the game of the year on it necessarily. Well, but like in the future though, I feel like it really could because it's like I could see this like real. I could see myself in the the kind of games that I like. Some experience could totally like stand out and be really engaging and enthralling on this thing. I could totally see that happening. And I think it was because there's a lot of little things like crank crank games like the surfboard game is just kind of going for a high score and it, it right. functions really well but then there's the game where you're like walking around taking pictures of birds and stuff like that oh my god and it wasn't Kelsey, even that i, I, I can imagine like, how much your heart exploded seeing a bird watching game on the play well, that is exactly your that, well, that's the thing though it's not like i was playing it and i was like this is it this is enthralling but right. it did show to me that it was like this is like a full this almost feels like pokemon-esque like they could totally put like a full sort of old school RPG on here. A platformer would totally be functional on this thing because it's like, it's got the Game Boy controls. And I just, I love that kind of like, con that creative constraints and the kind of things that'll come from it. I'm really excited about that. Like, I always think about, um, 
I'm sure you know this example too, Hanson, but like Pixar, right? Yeah. Like when they were starting out, they had this technology to do animation and stuff like that. But what, no matter what they did, the only thing that they could kind of produce visually was sort of like plastic. Like everything looked plastic. And as a result of that, they're like, well, why don't we make a movie about plastic toys? And that kind of like, you know, led the way for Toy Story. And I feel like, I feel like there's potential for those kind of creative constraints to make something really interesting and, and cool here. And I'm also, I'm also kind of obsessed with like experiences that are really dedicated to like one place. You can only have them in one place. Like it's why I bought a Virtual Boy recently because I was like, I gotta try Wario Land on the Virtual Boy. There's no other way to play this thing. And that's what, that's, that's very much what Playdate is. I don't, I think these games, some of these games could totally be on other platforms, but to get yeah. the proper experience with the crank, like I don't really think they could be translated effectively necessarily. I, I could be totally wrong. Maybe I'll play something that's like, oh yeah, the right control stick totally uh, stands in for the crank. It's not a problem at all. But I really like it. Like I, okay. I'm really excited for it and its future. I love the idea of just small games coming to it every week and just sampling them. Like I'm not, you know, not playing them for a ton of time, but yeah. So I, I really like it. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a deep cut, but I feel like it's kind of eating uh, UFO 50s lunch. Remember the creator of Spelunky, uh, Derek, you a while ago announced UFO 50, where it's going to be a bunch of indie designers coming together and making a bunch of NES games all packaged into one. And I feel like that is what this is: is just like a bunch of developers creating these weird throwback experimental little games, but they're all solid. So you know, for the press they unit, good, yeah, yeah, they unlocked a ton. So I've been going through all of season one and jumping around and you talk about like zelda and a platformer i mean they're kind of there there's a game called ratcheteer which feels like it's going for a link's awakening vibe or there's one like the only one that's i guess not technically new ip but even that's a blurry line but they have one where it's forest burns up in smoke and that's going for a platformer vibe and it forest oh, burns of course okay. is the mascot from the in-universe world of Firewatch, which is just oh, that's so! Fu- I didn't even know. I didn't even know that when I played it. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's but really it's, weird. It's also very sh- that game is very Shovel Knight, also because yes. you literally do the double jump with the shovel. Um, oh, but nice. I love that game. Um, I think I also what one thing that really stuck out to me in this library was how funny so many of the games were. Yeah. Um, I wasn't really expecting humor to take like such a big you know, seat at the forefront. And I feel like everyone also developed these probably mostly, uh, you know, separate, right? I don't think necessarily like the Chew Labs developers were talking to like the other developers, but though sure. maybe there was some communication in that they were all like working on the same project. I don't know. Um, I'm sure they're also doing, I think, a, a Playdate like podcast and I know Panic yep. just did a podcast on the Playdate. So maybe we'll get more info on that behind the scenes stuff as the rollout happens. But yeah, so many of the games were like weirdly old school funny. Um, one of my favorite games on there that I got early on was um, I think it's called Time Travel Adventures. Yeah. And I love that game because I think it's like the best and most interesting and dynamic use of the crank because <laughs> like you play as a wind up person, like a little wind up toy guy. And with each like small motion of the crank, you're like slowly stepping. So you could like move it really fast and he'd like run at lightning speeds or you can move really slowly. And it's like like centimeter by centimeter movement. And it's like super accurate. Yeah. Um, and, that's and the whole a- stick is like. You wake up and you're running late for a date, like the date's at three, you wake up at three and you're trying to get there. And at the end, um, you get like hit or kicked or whatever. And it reminds me a lot of like Super Meat Boy, which is also like playing on the Mario Princess thing. So I'm like, oh, that's such a funny little angle that they have here. And the thought of like being a wind up man running late for a thing. And, like, uh, and then sound design's really quirky. Sound there. design is huge have... in that one. Yeah. yeah. And it's from... Like, 
Keita Takahashi game, um, who is the Katamari Damacy creator, um, yeah. among other things. So, I mean, honestly, that was one of the first things that really sold me on this entire console because every experience he's ever made has been like a a weird, interesting, like, how does your brain work? I want to see, I want to see what your brain comes up with kind of thing. So as soon as I was like, he's making a game that heavily uses the crank, I was like, oh, I'm sold. He's going to have the best use of the crank, whatever that is. Who knows what that is yet? <laughs> it's surprisingly um, tricky too. Like there's those pigs that go oh, super hard. fast and you have to like, so using the crank to be like, okay, my leg is just clear enough of this, but then going down so I don't get hit by the butterfly or whatever, going over the top. And it is such a stupid, funny idea yeah. that, He's going on a date every day, and every day he's trying to wake up at exactly 3 p.m., and he's always late. It's like, what is always like, And right, also, sure. I'm, I think it's hilarious how many dates there are. Like, I was, like, <laughs> right. playing and talking to my boyfriend about it, and he's like, 20th date? Like, why is she still with this guy? And then, too, like, that's the one That's one of the few games, and not to say, again, this is not an indictment on the games, but, like, yeah. we all know that there's a lot of games coming out all the time. Like, I might not finish a lot of these. Some of them also don't end. Like, what, Water Wipeout's just an arcade high score kind of thing but i assume this one does have an end because it has levels and i'm like I, lo I really love this game but i also like really want it to end because i want to finish it and it's really hard and i'm like i can't and every time i do a level i'm like they can't make anything like harder than this and i'm waiting for i'm like clearly it's gonna end like on an even number or something and i'm like <laughs> i really want to see it through i i'm not sure how far it goes i'm on like date 20 and there's still more dates and i'm tired i hope at the end like they don't get married it's just like completely shatters and she's had enough of these pigs invading their dates and i'll be nonsense happening in this also, world. Also, like, every time you lose, she pops up in the corner, and just there's this great animation of her shaking her head. Like, <laughs> yeah. Failed again. So good. Uh, yeah, I mean, you say that there's not going to be a Game of the Year contender on this thing, but uh, I beg to differ, because there's this game on this freaking thing called Pick Pack Pup, which... Oh, that's the one that I'm obsessed cute. with, too. Yes! Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> Thank you, Kelsey. Look, it's not a revolution. It is a match three, but I think it's a very smart and very well done little match three game where the premise is basically you're, basically you're a dog working at an Amazon warehouse um, and the company, instead of Amazon, is called Fetch. And they have levels. They have 30 levels um, and then each level is just like continuing the story of this dog working in this Amazon factory and as you're going on it gets more and more absurd like and it plays with the mechanics and the actual gameplay in an interesting way of like, okay, you get one vacation day. Hope you enjoy your one vacation day, little dog. And then you go on and it's like, psych, uh, actually we need you to pack some stuff while you're on vacation. So like all the icons change to like, you know, holiday vacation things. And it's just, it's really clever with how it keeps shaking things up. And look, it's not a revolution or anything, but like it tells like a really cute, coherent story. And I think it's really creative level to level and where it eventually goes gets naturally wacky. But Kelsey, I'm so glad you like it too. Yeah, and it's just, it's a very satisfying gameplay loop. I mean, it's just a very well-constructed little puzzle game that you you just kind of want to keep doing. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. It's not a revolution or anything. And I will say, um, this is one of the games on there, and I haven't played every game or anything, but this is one of the games on there that I think the crank is totally useless in it. Yep. it they, they didn't, I mean, they use the crank in between kind of levels to do a little comic book sequence, and it's it's cute, but you absolutely did not need a crank in this game. This could have been this could have been a, a Game Boy game, uh, you know, right. anything, right? But, um, yeah, and there's something magical about it just being a handheld experience, though. Like, oh, it could have been on any console, but yeah, sure, match three on a console, that's all felt like well and good. But just having it on the go is definitely the game I kept going back to again and again, even when I had my Steam Deck here over the entire week, and it's like, I want to do more of that Pick Pack Pop game. Um, it's like, just a fun little, like, Five ten minute experience. I, I love totally. it. Totally. And like, so, you know, you match them 
and then it makes bigger packages and it has that level of satisfaction that you know puzzle fighter also has of like making these bigger stacks and then you tap on it or i guess click on it in this case or whatever you want to call it press the button on it and then like all the packages explode at once kind of like a puzzle fighter style gem explosion so like building up all the different match threes and then popping it and get all those points and it also like it's big on like destroying the bottom row so there's a time pressure every once in a while but looking into it the cool thing is and this is why i like the the playdate is so it's designed by arthur hammer who did the art and then nick Magnier, the design and i looked into this guy and so the lead designer he's just a designer at ubisoft in germany and i love the idea of just this guy who's part of one of the biggest development borg hive minds in gaming of ubisoft like getting his time in the sun for this little designed experiment and i was like oh i never would have found this game otherwise thank you like Playdate. i had this dog in my head but no that's I, I love stuff like that too and i mean there's a lot of fantastic games on this again like even though you know i had the comment of like it's not gonna blow your mind necessarily i yeah. think there's a lot of fun to be had like i think even in games that i didn't really love i think they were still really well constructed like i didn't really hit any things that i felt like were i don't know didn't have some level of entertainment value even if i wasn't necessarily gonna stick around with them for super long but like some of my favorites uh omaze is like one of the like yeah, coolest like puzzle games I've played in a while. Um, the kind of and that one's one where like Kelsey, I like that she brought up like the, the some of the games that don't really use the crank or like oh the yeah. crank's there, but that could be anything. It could be a D pad. Uh, I'm sort of mixed on that. Like I do think it's really fun to have like stuff that uses the crank because that's the whole point. But I also think it's really cool that like with the um, if you have a PC, the mirror app that they have, like you can use um, a keyboard or like a controller or something. And I think, you know, definitely for people that maybe have issues where they wouldn't be able to like use the Playdate outright and would want that option. It's kind of cool to like have that there, too. Um, But yeah, like it's kind of nice when there's a little bit of a mix of like if you can use it or if you don't or what it adds. But Omaze is a fun one because it does play with that mix really well. And I think it balances like how much you're using the face buttons versus the crank. Uh, Basically, the idea is like you're like a little it's all like very minimalist. So you're a little dot and you're moving from one big circle to like the final big circle. And there's like different mechanics they throw in of like you're dashing or like the circles vanish at a certain time. And then there's like objects. There's like you got to re-rotate it. So it's like a really minimalist puzzle game but i thought it was like super well constructed and really cool um there's one called inventory hero where if you like loop hero like yep. inventory hero is like the second cousin uh it also reminds me of this game on the switch that i keep forgetting that had another like funky kind of rpg thing um, but inventory hero you're just managing inventory that's the whole game like you're everything else auto plays and you're like throwing away or adding like shields or shirts and they like threw a really funky thing where they like gave you a bunch of junk really fast so you're like trying to throw the junk away without getting rid of the good stuff there's like funky things like they'll give you a potion that's slowly draining because there's like a hole in the vial so it's like oh we gotta drink that one right away but the other ones you might want to save i think that might be Um, like there's like a lot of cool weird fun stuff happening in here yeah yeah i feel like that one might be about as much as i'd want from like reading complexity because i feel like some of the games they try and lean into being a little rpg like experience but i think reading text on this thing is about the last thing i want to do on a play date yeah and so, so small. <laughs> any of those games that start with any ounce of lore even stuff that seems well designed it's like i just i i don't think i'm going to jump into this rpg like experience on this tiny thing at least for now it's funny funny you say that because i haven't played anything that that does this but i could totally see i mean that screen is is pretty similar to like an e-ink screen yeah, so i right. could totally see like 
literally reading a scroll using the crank <laughs> to like scroll through text and it would probably look and feel pretty good if you're I mean, into that's that kind sort of thing. like deep like Demon Quest 85 has a little bit of that. I didn't right. get that far yep. in it because I'm embarrassed to say that I couldn't solve the puzzle right. of it. No I'm shame. like, who do I need in this party? But like, and that's another one where the crank is quite literally optional. Like you can crank through the scroll or you can just scroll uh, with the D-pad. But that's like a funky one of like you're trying to summon a demon and like pick out stuff. And it's I like how it jumps from room to room too. It kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Night Trap. Like when you're kind of using the cameras okay, to see sure. different areas. Um so yeah, like I was, I was honestly just surprised with the, I think diversity of what came out of this, um, and I think they have a lot, of, a lot of nice like arcade hits. Like Snack is just Snake, but I love Snake. Like <laughs> Nothing Snack wrong with can snack. just be Snake, and that's good. And then you pick the one with a lot of A's, and the Snake moves really fast. I was like, yeah, there we go, ten out of ten. Like yep, I don't need anything it. else. <laughs> yeah, there's like there's two games in the first season that are kind of like an Asteroids type game, but one of them, Star Sled, I really like a lot. We have to like circle Me around too. the stars and stuff. Like that's yeah, my favorite kind of arcadey one that, that's going on here. Um, one that I think is really cool just for the presentation is Questy Chest. Sorry, Ooh. Questy Chess, where it's like, I guess you play as a pawn and you're making your way through oh, it. Yeah. But it I almost, can understand that. <laughs> it's really weird, but the presentation feels like a dot matrix printer screen. It's like, everything's just like this weird herky jerky. But I think artistically, it's like maybe the strongest out of this entire batch here. Um, well, and a- I think that because we've got this, uh, they've, they've got this really cool development thing set up for people like you can just kind of go get into their dev kit i think right now right it's already available yeah is that, uh, yeah. yeah and they have pulp um, it's like an online editor so you can jump in there and yeah try it. yeah i am so stoked to see what comes out of that like it's just it seems so open and so ready for like some very random weird ideas and small experiences and so i'm i'm just like i mean i'm excited to just play all the games that they've curated for me too but i'm also excited to see the sort of like mario maker e like tiny small experiments that people just are gonna blast out on twitter inevitably and yeah. you know be like play this it's like 10 minutes but it's cool. For sure. Yeah, I hope that community is thriving. I should probably check out that Reddit. It's probably already hopping. But I think this is going to be great because, yeah, they have the seasons. They haven't confirmed a season two yet, but it seems very much implied. Um, but then the thing is you can also sideload games. And they're working on making a store and whatnot, so you can actually browse through that. But you can buy a game called Bloom right now for 10 bucks, And it's just it's cool to have like these seasons rolling out. And there's not like a subscription for it. You just buy this device and it's like, hey, we'll just slowly trickle out this stuff. That feels like it See, should be a subscription. Would they, I mean, would they charge for season two? That's we don't the know. Thing. Not that I, yeah. I don't mind either way. Like I can totally, that's just, you know, part of have, making like art and having a business. Like I'm sure plenty of people will put out, like Bloom is $10, right? And yeah. I know some people probably wouldn't want to buy, spend $10 on Bloom because it's $10. Um, but there's also probably going to be stuff that's, you know, free. Like, there is anywhere else with games. Like, sometimes some stuff will be free, some stuff will be paid. So, I'm curious to see. I really hope they do a season two, uh, whether it's paid or not. I think, obviously, the ideal is that it's just still free, because the device is a little bit pricey. But, um, yeah, I could see it going either way. But I would, I, I mean, I think I would pay for a season two. Like, I pay for Apple Arcade, so I feel like a one-time thing like i wouldn't mind it It'd get more use out of the console um yeah. are any of you going to try to build a game in this because it's always that moment where i'm like maybe i could find but like i can't even finish my mario maker level like i started I, on a plane like three years ago and i never finished it i'm with you but like what they showed off of their little online simplified editor called pulp which you can also dive into the code and all that stuff but like 
it made it look very easy in that video, right? and so I'm kind of I know curious it's not, about though, it. Right? Like well, I'm gonna play with it. Yeah, I'm probably not going to finish any masterpiece, but I am definitely gonna play with it. If we made a min-max game, like what would be mm. you think the shtick? Like how are we using the crank if we made? A Let's see. That exemplified our essence. I think it would probably just be something that we call a uh, pick pack pup two. Um, and that's kind of like the ideal <laughs> min-max game if I had to choose it. Um, let's see. Well, that's I mean, the first game to get sued off of the play <laughs> <laughs> up everywhere. Um, yeah, I don't know. Let's see. It's wild that there's not one fishing game on there yet. Yeah. I was a little surprised by that too, but I kind of, in a weird way, liked that. Like yeah. when I first heard of the game, I'm like, okay, fishing. Um, that's all I have because I don't need <laughs> games. So I thought it was really cool, like how many different kinds of things uh they did with it yeah i think something maybe there could be like a two-player game where in some way you're like trying to push this back and forth like oh there's that japanese arcade game no pressure on anybody but do you know what i'm talking about where it's all about like pushing the thing back and forth because sort of test a might something like that some sort of competitive yeah. thing with this that would be my my go-to example see uh, that yeah uh kelsey i mean casual birder was that exactly up your alley isn't that everything you love i haven't in played life? it yet what I know. Oh my God, your game of the year is waiting for you there, Kelsey. Okay, all right. Actually, I think, Janet, I think it was your review that said that game was kind of meh, and so I was like, okay, I'll get <laughs> to that in a little in, bit. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think it's that great. Because, and I didn't get that far, so maybe it has more time. <laughs> I just didn't like, it got so detailed in certain areas, and I'm just like, ooh, this green's really small, and then like, one of the birds, <laughs> sounds like such a dumb, like, as element of a review, no, but I'm like, one of the, I'm like, one of the birds, like, moves really fast, and I'm like, how am I supposed to take a picture of this guy? <laughs> this is too much, like, it was, I was, was like, I can't take the pressure of this, there's like, so many other games to play. False advertising was not casual birding, it was hardcore birding, yeah, <laughs> way too hard. Kind of, I think a little bit of the shtick in that game, too, where they're like, oh, are you, like, casual? And again, that's like, almost every game has some weird humor to it and yeah. i just wasn't surprising them expecting them all to be like so funny yeah so uh lucas pope's game from return of Oberdin, papers please it's still coming up that might be a season two thing not sure but it's about being a bouncer on mars uh bennett foddy from getting over it and many other games uh he has a game in here called zipper where you're like a samurai uh am i i don't I don't understand what's going on with that one. Does anybody understand how to play Zipper? Oh, yeah. You can yeah. turn invisible with the crank at one point, And I didn't notice that until oh. like further into the into like playing it a few times. It's kind of um, it is a turn based um, samurai game where, yeah. again, you have like, I think, an invisibility ability at one point. I don't know if how, that's another thing, too, about these games. Like some of them have like a little tutorial. Some of them have instructions when you pause and some of them don't say anything. And then fun. some of them tell you stuff when you die. So it's like very mixed on how much and then there's like no information out on his games either even in like the press side so i was like what am i looking at here for some of these um but yeah like it has a really distinctive and interesting art style but you're kind of just trying to your goal is to be um adjacent to the enemies and you have to pass by them like in a okay move, so like, run right next them. to them okay that worked for yeah, the first on that screens. trope of where two samurais run at each other yeah and then one dies and it's just about making it's a strategy game yeah. it's just about lining up and making sure you can zip to them first it's okay. really satisfying to pull off a nice kill oh nice uh, yeah. This is making the uh, the gear the the crank in my head turn a little bit. I should say, <gasps> um, like there's probably a market for like physical manuals for these games. Ooh, Don't you think? Yeah. Like the same person who's really into Playdate would like to have a little something on their shelves for it, anyways. 
And if we're yeah. already like running into some scenarios where it's just a little confusing, not like, you know, not like you need a, a thick manual, but just like the instructions laid out nicely for you. Like, yeah, it'd basically be like half of an art book. Like if you're going to buy yeah. the, the zipper manual just to have that sitting there, because there's something cool about a cute little manual for a Game Boy game. I get it. Um, Malcolm Holiday uh, wrote in on Patreon and asked, what gaming franchise do you think could do well on the playdate? Taking full advantage of the crank and the unique graphic system. Uh, minute two. Yeah. Oh yeah. It already Man, looks like it. What a good answer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. two minute. Yeah, that's good. And the crank in that game would rewind time or something. I don't know. There's okay. all kinds of weird stuff it could yeah. do. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I the the I also th- I mean I I really want to see like a nice like it's oh uh, El- I'm thinking of black and white games, but um Gato Roboto. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just would love, like, you know, a Metroid on there. Why not? Just, like, do go for the standard sort of indie genres as well. I, I would love to play those on Playdate. And look, I know this is sacrilegious to many people listening, but you know what would be kind of fun for the Playdate? Is I'd imagine these games aren't taking years of your life to develop, right? It's not a huge budget. Like, what if publishers grabbed onto the Playdate... And I know it's a bastion of new IP and it's all beautiful experiments right now, but what if it just got gross and corporate? No, but like, what if publishers latched onto it as a way to make a really cheap sequel to a game that would not get a sequel anywhere else? You know, what if we got like... It's not a big enough install base for that to ever be worth it. We but... don't know. I mean, they're shipping out now, Kelsey. Maybe it'll take over the... But like, but like they can't even know... make enough to... And this is not shade. Like, this is like the no, reality no, no. of this like, is yeah. business. Um, but like... The Playdate can't even, I think, scale to like, like, for instance, like you can still buy it even now, but it, those won't ship till 2023. Right. And that's because they don't have like the assuming, right? They don't have the they they sell what they can sell. And that's why they have like so many of the pre-order things and why they did pre-orders to begin with. Um, it kind of, you know, reminds me of like over at, you know, I started working for Lock On officially. And like we also have caps of like we could technically only sell a certain amount of those magazines because at a certain point we cannot make Right, right, <laughs> without right. like you know something crazy like changing or something so um, yeah but but hear yeah. me out but hear me out everybody what if like you know capcom's like okay a new bionic commando we're getting bionic commando 2 on the play date or like hey hey everybody you want shenmue 4 it's only coming one place and it's the no, play see, the date the only place dystopia it. version of this that's more realistic ben is somebody who made the first of those games right spins off does a kickstarter for the play date game that's where uh, the dystopia is going, i have more realistically. not no dystopia that sounds great if you want to yeah. make some weird little spiritual successors on this thing i am all for it you know what I want well, you give it, you know part is it never comes out, you know, and everyone's oh, just I see. for oh, four well, years. That. So, yeah. yeah. No, but I Kickstarter's like is like a NFT thing now too. Didn't they make <laughs> Wait, some really? sort of weird announcement about that? They oh. just had an announcement saying Kickstarter <laughs> is NFTs now. <laughs> but one one first of all, like one idea that you now you've gotten this in my head. Yeah. Like, but something like that's very much for Kyle. Like Game Freak making Drill Dozer two, yeah, and putting it on the play date Ooh. and using the crank for the drill. <laughs> it's like, a manual I, drill. I would like, I would love that. And then you know what else I would really love? <laughs> it's screwdriver is, dozer. Uh, if we're going down the Game Boy path, because it very much feels like a Game Boy, I yeah. would love to have like the sort of uh, sometimes futile attempt at translating a con like a AAA console game to Game Boy. Ooh, right? I would love. Yes. To I love have, D-Makes. Like, yeah, so like good. yes, exactly. Like you know, I don't know, just like Far Cry play date or something like that. You know, like <laughs> how does so that? Good. How do they? Would... How do they make something called Far Cry like, but still be a game? Like like how a lot of Game Boy games tried to pull that yeah. off. And sometimes it was great. Sometimes it wasn't. But I yeah. would love stuff like that. 
yeah, it's hey everybody, it's a fun little thing. Like it's it's what's fun about the game industry. It's something to come completely out of left field with a lot of weird new ideas. I feel like it's a best case yeah. scenario, and we'll see where it evolves. Again, listening to this, you probably know right now whether you have any interest in this. And I'd say a majority of you are saying no. But still, it's a cool little indie device, you know? Uh, let's see. Uh, we had another question that was kind of relevant and uh, interesting. Uh, Ricky Winterborn here. Uh, they say, I remember as a kid dreaming about the day when I'd be able to play GameCube-level games on a handheld device and how impossible it seemed at the time. Do you think there's an aspect of devices like the Steam Deck existing that almost ruins the idea of a handheld? I kind of miss when handheld games were developed with graphical limitations and portability in mind. Very much what you were saying, Kelsey. Are we at a point where... I think that's the, the play date, like, kind of swings us back around to that. And you, you have to be a fan of those weird experiences. And yeah. I think, you know, the four of us happen to be, but that's that's not true of everyone. But if, if you were like, no, I really liked that the Game Boy games I played were, you know, as much as they tried to be a Super Nintendo or whatever, like it just wasn't. And they ended up with something totally different. And I liked those experiences. And like, I think this is just kind of how you got to do it now. I mean, there are simple games on the Switch, of course, but when you don't have those limitations, you're just sort of like, I don't know, the limits you place on yourself almost seem arbitrary. Yeah. Do you think that we like those demakes, just those ideas, just for the sake of simplicity. Like, hey, we like bigger games too, but it's nice to have the handheld version of these things just because we know it's not going to be that in-depth. It knows the format that it's working in and therefore it's going to be inherently simpler and then you can breeze through it easier. It's about breezing. Like, I, their simplicity is is part of it, but I don't know if it's like a an ease thing. It's It's more of just like... That's its own language. Like the the small handheld experience is its own language. That yeah, outside of us now getting these kind of smaller playdate like things, it, it doesn't have to exist anymore because of the Switch and the Steam Deck and all of that. Like you you can yeah. just put a regular console game on a handheld. So that that language is like being lost if we don't make things like the play date. Does that make sense? Yeah, Does I think so. Does it sound like a crazy person? No, not fully. Just like 40%, but I think that's okay. a good territory <laughs> to be in, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, so you checked out the Steam Deck. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you, I threw mine over to you as well, and this one actually like works and stuff. Um, that works great. I'm curious what you think of it so far. First of all, first impressions, pick it up, put it in your hands. What are you thinking? Uh, not as heavy as I thought it would be. Still um, heavy, still but heavy, yeah. still heavy, but like, but like lighter than I thought than I thought it would be. I assumed it would be like really heavy, but it's not too bad. Yeah, um, I, I think I had that so experience. That was, that was too. my another, first reaction. Yeah, the weight of another device. Like, is it as heavy as like an iPad with a case? Is it heavier than the Wii U gamepad? Like, mm, I think yes. I think the Wii U gamepad yeah, is like four ounces. Sure. So, um, it is mostly plastic. But yeah, that, like when I saw the shape, that's the first thing i thought of the way you gamepad yeah i don't know you can look at the numbers i'm curious to see it maybe like two switches if you put them back to back like a double yeah, stack switch thing maybe. something like that sandwich okay it's delicious <laughs> um yeah i kind of had an experience too Kyle, where i picked it up and uh you know i i've felt it and i was like you know this is 20 percent more comfortable than i thought it would be based on the yeah, pictures and stuff yeah yeah <laughs> Um, it's definitely Which is good. Like that was it was that was a nice surprise. You know? Yeah, it is definitely wide. I think that's one of the big takeaways. It's it's big and it feels ridiculously wide, but still it's it's cozy enough. It works. Um, but Kyle, you said that you were playing it 
more than the play date that you were all in on this Steam Deck. So I'm curious what your journeys with it uh, has been like so far. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly... I didn't like... I started the thing I started playing was Half Life Two, which is like oh, always the thing that I play when I have like a new PC or something like that. It's not like this graphical showcase or anything like that necessarily. Uh, it's an older game that still looks great, but uh, I was like, oh, this is a Valve game. Like, I'm sure it's like you know set up for Steam Deck in particular. I'm sure they like paid special attention to this. So like, I, I started playing Half Life Two, and of course it was like this immediate reminder that oh yeah, like I really love Half Life Two and this is great. But there was also like. One, this is like a weird thing to to specifically call out that was like so strange to me is it uh, it it automatically turns on motion controls, um, which I like hadn't ever really considered the idea of playing Half Life Two with motion controls. Oh, weird! Uh, like you basically just, like Breath of the Wild, you know, you aim you like rotating the system. Yeah. And the thing that was so strange, it was like I was like, I don't I don't how's this working? Sometimes the motion controls are on, sometimes they're not. I can't figure out what I'm doing differently. And then what it was. Was um, it the motion controls activate when you put your thumb on the control stick? Like you don't you don't have to move the control stick, but if your thumb is laying on the control stick, you can then do motion controls. Weird. And I was like, how does that work? Are the control sticks like capacitive or something? Yeah. It really was weird, and it was also an, it was also like a, a just this moment of like this thing is cool. Like this is <laughs> like this is cool how this works. Um, so yeah, I played a bunch of Half-Life 2 just because I love that game, and it was yeah. like trying it with motion controls and trying to aim with the little touchpad mouse thing and stuff like that. And um, it was just, it was awesome. It feels great. It looks great. It, like, I was really impressed. And then the other thing, the other one that I ended up playing a bunch of, which is so silly, was um, uh, Vampire Survivor. Is that what it's called? Survivors, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, because I, that's again, not a graphical showcase at all. I'm not going for these games that would really like push the limits of the Steam Deck, but I was like, I want to play a Steam game that like I'm excited to check out that people are really excited about that I haven't played. I haven't touched it on my console. So like, I played a bunch of Vampire Survivors on the Steam Deck and it felt great. And it was like, this is, this is cool. Like, I, I, whenever I'm able to get mine, whenever that future may be, like, I, I do see myself using it a lot. Yeah, and that's just because Vampire Survivors might be game of the year secretly. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't okay. know about that. We'll see. I, but I do like it. It's, it is it's very really good. cool. Also, it's probably really a date. version of it. Yeah, could totally work on the play date. Let's see. You yeah. can like spin the Bible around you or whatever by cranking on the crank. <laughs> right. right. Um, yeah. 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 It, it's great. So you boot up the the Steam Deck, and on the screen there, it has a section that just says has it says a uh, great on deck. Where it's like, hey, here are games in your library that we know are relatively optimized. So going to that was interesting. Like one of them was. Uh, Worms Armageddon. I was like, what? That old PC mm, yes. game? So I checked it out and not exactly greatly optimized. Like you can still use the mouse controls with the little touch pads and stuff. But even that is weird. Like I tried playing Age of Empires 2. I tried playing Worms Armageddon. Um, and it'll show you when you boot up a game, like, hey, here are the inputs that are available on this thing. And so it's weird when you're trying to use uh, like a mouse focused game because it's like, okay, what actually is the click button? Sometimes it's like tapping on the little touchpad. Other times it's like right trigger. Other times it's left trigger. So it's a little bit wonky that way. But then uh, booting into games that are controller focused have been great. I mean, the fact that Elden Ring runs well on this is mind boggling. Um, even if, you know, it's a lot of hitting R1 and Elden Ring and R1 button isn't the, isn't the strongest button on the Steam Deck overall. But still, it's so cool to be like, oh, Elden Ring on the go. This is a whole new era for us. 
Um, I, yeah. of course, went directly, and the first game I played on it was Directly Drink Milk from Cow, which um, Sarah <laughs> and Anna played um, on Steam Secret Stash, so I had to see if that runs, and it runs like a dream on Steam Deck, so don't be worried, everybody. Um, I was surprised it can like run multiple games. Like You can keep games running in the background. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was doing that like that really surprised me too where it was like you know xbox series x or whatever where it's like running games at the same time and like i yeah i swapped between two and i was like oh this never shut down i assumed starting up one would shut down the other but um yeah that that surprised me yeah and then you can also switch to a desktop and there's a linux desktop and all that stuff you can go to the app store uh they have a ton of emulators sitting in that app store i mean like i had chrono trigger running on this thing within five minutes it's pretty ridiculous if you want to steer it in that direction um, Kelsey, do you have any interest in the Steam Deck, or is it too highfalutin for you? No, I, I do. Um, I don't have one yet, because I, I, I got one of those brains where, like, if I miss out on pre-orders the first time, my brain's like, fine then, I guess I just won't have it until, until I inevitably, like, give in later, but, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't ordered one yet. I've played around with the friends a little bit, and it's, it's cool, I mean, it's, it's something I have always wanted, much like the, um, commenter earlier whose name i forget i'm sorry but like when yeah growing up it was always like man i can't wait until just every game is on a handheld and switch felt like a good version of that and then this is like even even a further step this is everything else everything yeah but you know because because you can't optimize all nine bazillion steam games for this thing i mean i know it's imperfect and that's that's understandable but also sad because it's like well i really was hoping i could just play anything on this and instead it's like you look it up and it's like um it's this one works but it's buggy it's like i I don't know if you've ever looked up the list on wikipedia of like original xbox games that technically play on the xbox 360 and like every single one of them has notes it's like yeah it plays but you know in level four the sound cuts out and uh you know in this one like this this glitch happens all the time and it's just like every game gonna be kind of like that where it's just like a surprise this doesn't really work all the way thing yeah i think steam deck's doing better than that i mean i haven't run into any in a big way that I was banking on that haven't, but especially having that like great on deck filtering, you know, even if it's a little imperfect with the stuff like Worms Armageddon, I think that is a step in the right direction to be like, hey, you can go into the great waters and test any of your games, but if you want a good starting spot, here you go. This might be everything that you need. Um, but yeah, Kyle, I mean, since you're not a big PC gamer, do you think that when you get a Steam Deck, it could change that for you? Because now you have a really convenient way to check out these games. Yeah, no, I, I will definitely be more likely to check out those like random Steam games on here. 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's just more convenient. I just don't, it's just like, I I don't, it's like a weird thing, and I know I can, like, pull my PC over to a television and, and plug in a controller and stuff like that, but I but my PC's at my desk, and I don't like playing games at my desk. I don't yeah. find that to be an enjoyable experience, and this lets me take it anywhere and make it a more enjoyable experience. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's Steam Deck, everybody. I, I like it. Um, it's about what you expect. You know, it's fun just to see, oh, there's a there's a new Valve logo on this thing. Look at this. It's got a logo on its own. It has like a retro beeping boot up sound that I wasn't expecting. So just seeing, you know, the Valve hardware, I think is exciting just as a dork for this industry and stuff. But I was definitely more excited to play Playdate than, you know, technically Elden Ring, but on my couch now. My upstairs couch instead of my downstairs gaming couch. It's just a night and day difference. Uh, but that is the Steam Deck. Uh, Javi Martinez, uh, Martinez writes in and says, hey, based on what you've seen or experienced, what would be one thing that you'd want to change or improve about the Steam Deck, Kyle? Is there anything that jumps out? 
Um, the the UI is a little strange to me. It took me a little yeah. while to figure out like how to quit games and where things where you check on things downloading and stuff like that. Sure, um, I think it looks good though. But yeah, I mean, I guess I would like it. I I actually don't think it. I don't need it to be as big as it is. Like I would be okay if it were smaller. Uh, yeah, maybe like. 30% smaller. I would still be very comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, but overall, like, happy with it. Very impressed with it. Right on. Um, yeah, it is a weird year for handheld gaming. Like, I know it's, what, technically December of last year, and we talked about it before in the podcast with Serial, but the Analog Pocket. Um, are you still playing the Analog Pocket, Kelsey? Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's such <laughs> uh and I, I almost hate talking about it right now because there's, I think there's, there's no way to order one right now. Is that right? Oh, really? Like you have to buy from a scalper, uh. um, or, or can you pre-order them? But for like, you know, a million years from now, I, I can't remember. Um, but I mean, it is, it's replacing my need for old hardware um, because it, it just it does. From a oh, million years from now. Yes, okay, 2023. Cool. Fulfillment Group C. Shout out to Fulfillment Group C. <laughs> okay. All right, that's good. That's better than I thought, because sometimes analog's just like, nah, we're done. You know? Like, <laughs> Enough of this. <laughs> I know there's still demand, but eh. And, you know. Um, yeah, it's a it's an amazing, amazing console. Uh, I... I It's my go-to way to play all of my Game Boy games now. Um and I think, so, I'm someone who's a little bit weird in that I don't really like the IPS screen trend that has been happening a lot over the last couple of years, where, like, people are shoving these really bright backlights in uh, Game Boy Advances and Game Boy Colors and that sort of thing. Okay. And I'll explain why, because obviously backlights are great. You want to be able to play things, you know, when the lights are off and stuff. Um, but the problem that those run into and then don't address is that... You know, if if you go back and look at a regular Game Boy Advance or a regular Game Boy Color or whatever, those screens were really dark and they were making when they were making those games, they were making color choices knowing that those screens would be kind of dark. Right. Um so in order to get like a regular looking green, they might have used a like neon green, which would then translate through the screen as a regular looking green. So when you throw an IPS screen on things, it tends to just look really garish in a lot of games um, in a way that I'm not a super big fan of um, in that the analog allows you to basically fix completely because it gives you the backlight, but there's also sliders for things like contrast and saturation and all of that. So you can sort of like get the light part of it, but like I want to be able to play in the dark. Right. But you can kind of slide those sliders down so they still look correct like yeah that's they're not so neon they're not so in your face um so i mean that's been my favorite part about it it's just it's like okay i can have the best of both worlds i can make it look like it was supposed to look and also bring it into the modern era where we expect to be able to like play things in the dark yeah yeah for sure uh yeah maybe i'll get one if there's ever one in stock um i ordered god Help me out. What are the name of those things? Kelsey, you probably know, right? But there's that company that like takes handhelds and shatters them apart and makes like a wall frame mount of it. You know, oh, the little like um, the tear yeah. down things. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
Shadow bu- the little Shadowbox things. Yeah. I don't know what the company name is. Anyways, I mean, the Game Gear was like the first gaming device I really had outside of an Apple II, and I love that thing, so I actually got a Game Gear, one of those on the way. Even though I don't have a functioning Game Gear, I should probably prioritize that over like some weirdly dissected one to hang on my wall. There's, but... a, there's a Game Gear, uh, uh, oh gosh, like cartridge adapter adapter, thing for the thank you yeah (laughs) adapter is the word um for the analog oh really yeah okay all right i'll put myself which will look so much better than those game gear screens oh yeah uh sorry janet what is it called uh grid studio grid studio yeah those things are cool um hey everybody if you enjoy this show you can support the show directly by going to patreon.com slash minmax with two ends i don't want to freak anybody out but we are now 20 new supporters away i'm sorry 30 new supporters away. We just lost 10 um, after forgetting the name of Grid Studio. But uh, we are 30 new supporters away from hitting our goal on Patreon. It's been a long time coming, but we are 30 new supporters away from doing a full playthrough of Chibi Robo with Sarah Pozorski and Jeff Cork in the MinMax studio. So if you're looking for the right time to jump in, even at that $2 tier on Patreon, now would be a very good time and we'd appreciate it because I think we can hit it before the month wraps up. And we have Trivia Tower coming up at the end of the month uh, on the 28th. So if you jump into the $2 tier, you can compete in Trivia Tower, and it's all Nintendo trivia this time with Kit and Krista from the Kit and Krista podcast. So we need our community to be better at Nintendo trivia than their community. It's all I ask in this world. Uh, the creators of Azul Queen's Garden want you to know about the new tabletop game. Uh, Azul is one of the greatest tabletop games of all time. Uh, Janet, you have it, right? Yep. Awesome. Uh, but this Playing is those tiles. this is the sequel. This is called Azul Queen's Garden. It's a more complex version of Azul. Focuses on hexes instead of squares. You're building out these beautiful patterns, building out these gardens, all this stuff. Very complex, but it's a good time. And they're very generous, and they are giving away five copies of Azul Queen's Garden to the MinMax community. So here's how you can win a copy of this tabletop game for free, everybody. United States only, I'm sorry, but shipping, there are limits and stuff. But tweet out your favorite MinMax content, share any podcast, any video, anything that you like about MinMax, just use the hashtag MinMax and you'll automatically be in the running to win a copy of Azul Queen's Garden. So thanks for the support there. Also, thank you to our friends at I Am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know about Eastward. They have adapted the indie RPG into being a limited edition board game. It's a two to four player co-op game. And the funky thing is there's also the vinyl soundtrack uh, track that you can get at I Am 8-Bit's wonderful online store. And the vinyl soundtrack is also a separate tabletop game. And then if you combine them, it is, Two, it's like an expansion for the Eastward tabletop game. The point is, it's a cool experimental way to experience Eastward again, so you can help support them by going to iMateBit's wonderful online store. So check that out, and you can use the promo code National Soft Pretzel Month. National Soft Pretzel Month for 10% off everything under $100. So please check that out. And iMateBit is very generous, and each and every week they ship out a prize to our community. So this week, whoever submitted the best question over on Patreon will win the Battletoads vinyl soundtrack from iMateBit. They'll ship this to your house. It also comes with a digital version if you just want that, and then you can just get to use this as a beautiful piece of art. Um, next week, by the way, whoever submits the best question uh, will win a copy of Untitled Goose Game on Switch. Physical games. So, hey, it's a good time to jump in on Patreon. Uh, ready to go, Kyle? 
Yes, I'm ready to go. Here we go. Then here's a bunch of community questions. Uh, Josiah writes in and says, I still have my first no backlight Game Boy Advance and it still works. I will always mention that when the topic comes up in conversations because I'm so proud to have kept it for so long. What older gaming or electronic hardware are you still proud to own? I have a Philips CDI that I haven't plugged in in a long time, so it might not work, but uh, I bought one of those a long time ago, uh, and I'm always proud that I have that weirdo thing. (laughs) Is it just because of your Zelda love? It's like, well, I guess I need to play... 100%. Like, no question whatsoever. I I wanted to find out what was up with those weird Zelda and Mario games. Have you, like, seen credits roll on Wand of Gamelon or whatever the hell it's called? No. It's unplayable? Uh they're they're basically unplayable. They're incredibly difficult and the opposite of fun. <laughs> Do you think it'd be like Yeah, I know it's the opposite of fun, but would it be fun to like stream at some point or not even for that? No, I think it would be fun. I actually that was the last time I tried to plug it in was when I was kind of streaming on my own in in 2019 early 2020. I yeah. I tried to buy some stuff to like plug it in. I couldn't get it going. I I got it on, but it like wasn't showing up. It, yeah, it would be fun to go back just for this weird historical relevance of that thing for sure. It's funny, um, on on uh, Playdate, there's a game where you have to move penguins between elevators. Right. And the first thing I thought of was like, oh, is this Hotel Mario? Is that what I'm playing <laughs> here? Is Hotel Mario with penguins? Finally, this rich discussion about what I'm asking for. Uh, Kelsey, I assume you have a, you know, a museum slash library behind you of just old stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the oldest thing that I owned you know in its time and still have it functional is like my original game boy color still it's the only thing i've kept from my my childhood and i'm happy i still have it It is beat to crap but still works um but yeah i have some i have some weird stuff behind me i have a lot of like 60s and 70s nintendo toys let me see if i can reach one of them oh my god please do oh that's really cool well i I, because they started out with like playing cards right that was like nintendo's first thing right but then right. the hand grabbers and they moved kind of the into, toy, into right? toys and some of them are electronic toys like like this guy right here my my blur is going to kind of ruin this but yeah. this is called the the ultrascope and it's a like it's it's a little like stereoscopic thing you you kind of it, it's got an electronic uh oh what do you call that like it, it moves the moves the mirror up and down and you oh, and you look weird. through it and it's you know for like spying on your neighbor's garden or whatever um, <laughs> i've got some like old light gun toys from the early 70s and um the lefty rx which is a an rc car nintendo developed a long time ago that uh, only turns left it's and they were so able to good. offer it for like 20 bucks less than all the competition by doing that and so. that's because miyamoto's left-handed kyle no, that's not true. But oh, that was because he loved NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, and he loved NASCAR. That's right. That's why he forced himself to be left-handed. Uh, do you have one of the the grabby arm stretchy things? I've got two. That's not electronic, but yeah. I'll, Still I'll very good. Also, yeah. How much does this stuff cost? Can she still hear us? Do you think? Can she hear us whispering about her finances? Probably. Okay, sorry, I had to take my headphones off. Okay, to, cool. To hey, look one. at this, everybody. So, <laughs> so whatever whatever you just said, I didn't hear. Don't go back and listen to it. <laughs> Thank well, God. Oh, my God, that what? is so good. Have you used these? Do you use these? Like, you know, this is where we're getting kind of personal, Kelsey, but, like, I don't Do think I it's like... a secret to say that you're short, right? Like, this is a known thing. Oh, my God. If you're short, are you, like, you know, cranking it up, like, manually to get, I mean, I don't know what you could pick up. That wouldn't shatter. Well, you can get like cereal out of like the upper cupboards, I guess, with one of those stretchy Nintendo arm things. I mean, 
it it's kind of gross because this was made in 1968, so it's not it's not in great shape. I don't think I want it touching anything I'm gonna eat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed that you're still like using it. Like you actually did the stretchy thing. I feel like most people who own that would like seal it in lucite oh, and let it it's rot. It's made out of plastic. It's fine. All right. Okay. It's not like it's not like um, it's surprisingly heavy because like they still make. Toy, like that is a type of toy that's still made sometimes, but you know, very, very cheaply now. Yeah. Um, this one is like surprisingly weighty. Like it actually uses a weight in it to kind of help you uh, close the the jaws and do that's the retracting. Amazing. Yeah. So that's that's, that's a, a small new. part of. Sorry. I was just gonna say that's like a very like old school Nintendo thing to make it like way more durable than it needs to be, right? Like that the whole <laughs> idea of the original Game Boy was like yeah. isn't their intention it like they wanted it to be able to fall from chest height yeah. and still yeah. work because they thought Japanese businessmen would try to put them in their, their shirt pockets and miss. <laughs> So yeah, I haven't seen anything like, for the like DS, right? But they're like, oh, yeah. it's the height of a child. Like they're just obsessed with that chest level height. They're like, this is gonna <laughs> drop from someone's chest. I mean, I think right? I think the last thing wrong. left on planet Earth, it will be cockroaches and a 2DS. I think like the two most sturdy things. That thing is just this, a brick. This is kind of backtracking, but with like you know, speaking of like stuff falling, the Steam Deck laying down. If you yeah. drop that on your face, do you die? Like what happens? Yeah, you you would become two faced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you might break your nose. Um, hey, Kelsey, uh, I'm looking for for tips on this. Um, a while ago, like I'm not a big collector, but I was thinking about just oh, it'd be fun to collect like just some just a small set of old stuff. And I realized I really want um, the old Peanuts themed Game and Watch Nintendo things. And it's just a small dorky thing, but it's like, oh, Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts, like he was from Minnesota. So it's like the earliest oh, history. Yeah, it's like the earliest history of like Nintendo working with a Minnesota company or something. And they have like, what, Snoopy playing tennis and stuff. That's an old game and watch. I can remember if there were playing cards too, because they did Ooh. a lot of Disney playing cards. They might have also done Peanuts okay. playing cards. I think that's going to be um, my niche is the Nintendo Peanuts subset. I love that. Thank you. What a... What a great little um, and I think I think uh, Nintendo worked on a Peanuts Super Famicom game. That sounds about right. I'll, I'll make a shrine. I can't remember the name, but I'm pretty sure they they like it was a Nintendo developed Super Famicom game that was uh, that was Peanuts related. So yeah, you can you get a nice little interesting collection like that going. I yeah. think my my niche with the um, with the old Nintendo toys is specifically. I'm going for all the toys that Gunpei Yokoi worked on. Right, so, creator of the cool. Game Boy, yeah. And I'm I'm very far away from completing that set, and it's going to be very expensive, and I'll probably never finish it. One, one of the ones that he worked on just popped up for sale. It's like a little toy vacuum, and it's like $3,000. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm doing it. <laughs> you have something. I like having that carrot on the stick for the rest of your life. Of like, oh, yeah. do I want that toy vacuum? Good to have goals. Do you have um? Should I just go to eBay to get an old game and watch? Is there a go-to spot that you'd recommend for trying to find this stuff? Uh, I mean, other than like Yahoo auctions, I, mm. I think going to the Japanese source might be a little bit cheaper. Okay. But I don't know if you're going for like in the original packaging or I don't really care. Yeah. I mean that'd be cool, I guess. I, now that I think about it, it would be cool to have the Japanese box too. Damn it. Alright, this is getting more expensive. Um James writes in and says, uh I don't know if Ben would remember this, but back when he was at Game Informer, I wrote into the Game Informer show about how I use my DS light to this day as an alarm clock. 
I haven't actually played it in like a decade, but its delightful chirps is still the perfect wake-up sound. Does anyone else have a secondary function like this for any of their handheld gaming devices? That's amazing. Uh, that The alarm clock on the DS and the DS Lite is like... Sub- is cool and like i understand why they would use it 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 like it it also does a thing which i'm sure like any uh, alarm clock i could find you know does now but it you know that was like not a lot of apps on the iphone kind of era it showed you exactly how much time until the alarm went off so i even used it for a little while because i would be like okay if i go to bed now i can sleep for seven hours and that's pretty good like and it would just just by setting the alarm it would show me that so it was like it was nice (laughs) that seems stressful though like i I hate the idea of waking up and then looking at it and seeing like a countdown rolling I'm like all right sometimes it's nice to have that info though it's like okay well i can get at least two more you know or something like that yeah i hate doing math so much that when i like set my alarm on the weekend i always just talk to siri and i'm like just wake me up in eight hours because i cannot do the math of adding eight hours to whatever this is right now (laughs) i guess i kind of get it um let's see i exercise um with my play date now um, that's typically just turning oh. the crank is how I look oh, out in the morning. Mm, oh, I, I see. I thought you meant you were like on a bike playing play. Yeah, like I was <laughs> no, no, really No, that would actually confused. make We all believed sense. you. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> well, that's not funny. That's weird. I'm like, that's not even the weirdest thing he's told us here. So I'm like, sure, you that's know, true. live your truth, Ben. It's fine. Ooh, Kyle Silva watching us live at the Backstage Past here says, WarriorWare Gold has a set of alarm clocks that only turn off by beating three micro games. Right. That sounds yes. awesome. Oh, that's a cool. good alarm I like clock. That. I love I forgot that. about that. I, d- I don't still use anything like this, but there was a time in my life, uh, briefly, when I was, you know, had some roommates and not in a, didn't have a lot of money at the time, uh, so I didn't have, like, a great computer situation, where I was, like, ordering pizza and watching movies and everything through my Wii U. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I ordered several browser? pizzas through the Wii U. Yeah, <laughs> and they came out fine. Like they were edible. Yeah. Wow, yeah. look at that. That's confusing. <laughs> um, Alec Atlas or Alta, sorry, wrote in and said, "I caved and bought a PlayStation Vita for the first time last week, and I love it. I live in Seattle and went to the Pink Gorilla Game Store to buy a couple games for it. So thank you, Kelsey." Hey, thank you. Look at that. Uh, Jacob Hubbard also wrote in and said, Hey, everybody, I recently picked up a PlayStation Vita, and holy cow, this thing is underrated. I'm honestly blown away by how well games run on this decade-old hardware, and it's got some gems. Um, Kyle, I liked, um, I guess we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but last week we had an interview go up, which was you talking to the creator of Fez and the creator of Tunic, talking about secrets and games and the overlapping shared philosophy between those and how those games influence each other and stuff. But I loved, um, you are talking about Fez, and at some point, mm-hmm. Renault was like, oh, the best place to best place to play Fez is on the Vita. That was like his go-to number one choice. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's just the I, best I version. It, yeah, I played it on 360 when because that was where it launched. But the most I played it, like, on a second playthrough was was probably Vita. Yeah, it's just a nice little handheld game. Yeah. And then, on Switch now, too. That's right. Uh, Mandy Actamera also wrote in saying, my favorite handheld was the PlayStation, sorry, the PSP Go, which, by the way, I don't want to laugh at other podcasts and when they misspeak because I misspeak all the time. But the other day, I think it was a couple weeks ago on Easy Allies' podcast, um, they were talking about the PSP and somebody called it the PlayStation P. And I think that's the funniest way you can talk about it. <laughs> Anyways, um, so Mandy says, my favorite handheld was the PSP Go. It's disappointing that the phone they created was that was modeled after it never took off. It seems like that mobile gaming being so big that a phone with controls inside of it would have been perfect. Yeah, do you remember the Xperia Play, everybody? 
A little bit, yeah. I remember getting it at the Game Informer office, one, and it was just that weird moment of like, okay, so it slides open, it's kind of like a PSP Go, and then I just remember playing Crash Bandicoot, which was cool. Like, in 2011, that felt very cutting edge to have that like on a little handheld device. Like, hey, it's Crash 1. It's running. Um, the, the timeline of the PSP Go, I'd have to think about, because I think the DS, the DSi had an eShop where you could download games, but I think the PSP Go was first. So it like may have been the first like handheld console that you just downloaded games for exclusively. Hmm. It didn't have, you couldn't play discs on it, uh, which was unique at the time. And the, the sort of legacy of the PSP Go for me will be this great Mega 64 short. Do you know what I'm talking about, no. Hanson? Okay, where it's just like, he gets a PSP Go and like the whole video, it's like two or three minutes long. It's just him trying to insert a UMD disc into the PSP Oh, that's Go. right, that's right. <laughs> it's just like, he just totally destroys it by the end of the video and it's so funny. So that's, I just I can't not think of that when I think of PSP Go. God, this is a deep, deep cut, but <laughs> Kyle, did you ever see that video of Tim yes. uh, oh. trying to talk about the PSP Go? He did like a video review for the PSP Go back at Game Informer that was before my time, like Dan Reichert filmed it. And Dan cut together like a blooper reel of Tim trying to do this. And this was like, Tim had just started at Game Informer. And the, this is so specific and I'm sorry for sharing it. But it, uh, also the day that they recorded it, he just started. He was super nervous and he just had his heart broken by his girlfriend. And like, oh. hey, go on camera and review this PSP Go. So this... It is the most excruciating thing I've ever seen in my life. There's a blooper reel of Tim trying to talk about the PSP Go, and he just cannot get through it. But maybe there'll be a link below oh, if Tim's oh, okay with it. We'll oh. see. Um, anyways. Uh, Was it like, I have I have so many more questions, but yeah. I'm just going to leave it alone, I think. Cause okay. probably I'll send it to you, Janet. It's, oh my God, it's unbearable. The amount of times that that happens, though, to people who like make content. Like, I remember like having situations of like oh yeah this person like they're not gonna be able to finish this project because like they're going through intense turmoil i'm like oh all right well we'll just have someone else do it yeah you don't factor it in very often but it turns out people like on videos and podcasts they have like lives outside of this and sometimes it can Wait, affect things what? it's confusing i don't understand it fully anyways the point is uh could be a librarian uh submitted a question saying do you think the success of devices like the switch and steam deck will spur playstation into another handheld is it possible they'd come back I don't think so. It'd be kind of nice, but I think their weird thing now is VR. They're like, that is, and I, I also don't think there'll be another one of those, but they're like, this is our weird art and we're going to do it. We believe in it. Like we like what we're making here. Um, but I do think, you know, it's funny talking about the Playdate 2 where that's very much a passion project, but that's on such a smaller scale um, than like what PlayStation does that I don't think there's like a passion project from a big team like that looks a lot different than like one from a smaller team in a smaller company. So I, I think PlayStation's probably done with handheld stuff. I think where they probably would rather move is to really get remote play in a better spot yeah. to get it like not just on par with xCloud, but like beyond because even xCloud, it works better for me than uh, remote play. Generally, I haven't done like enough investigation to really like report back on like my even my anecdotal experience um but both are not like seamless moments um and i think that's really like going to be the next push and frontier for things yeah i mean Leafeon. Yeah, I, would, I would love it my, my dream is still just a fully portable first party playstation manufactured playstation 4 yeah you know just a four just a, just a portable playstation 4 would be awesome i mean but i don't it's i think they're done i think you kind How of have is that it different than a steam deck other than like the handful of exclusives i mean there's the at this point you're right no there isn't a whole okay. lot of difference other than exclusives <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, that's what I mean. Leafy, I was screaming about in backstage pass, saying God of War, Horizon, Days Gone, and Death Stranding are all playable in handheld form on the Steam Deck right now, which is wild to think about. It's kind of, and you know, if they can uh, sign those contracts and shake hands, the idea of Game Pass ever being just easily available on the Steam Deck, which you know both parties say they want to have happen, like that would be so cool. Um, so yeah, I don't know if we'll need it. Could be a librarian. Um. Let's see, Captain Cobblepot sticking with this theme, saying, hey everybody, it seems like the Game Boy is such a well-known device outside of non-gaming groups. Whether it's the OG, the Color, the Advanced, it's beloved among a lot of games for both nostalgic reasons and for some dang good games. What did the PSP do wrong to not see this kind of excitement that the Game Boy had? I think Catered the PSP... to not children? Oh, yes. Interesting. Like, and and was expensive. Yeah. Like, I mean, the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color, like, these are all at their absolute peak $99 and 99 cents. I mean, these were like the perfect Christmas gift, birthday gift, you know, it was so easy for everyone to have one. And I, I don't remember what the PSP retailed for at first, but it was it 200 or at least 150. It was mm. definitely not a hundred. Yeah. It was 199. Yeah. I want to say it was, it was like 200. Um, yeah. 250. 250. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like it, that's just, that's not in the same category you know like you're just not buying that for every cousin in the family and every you know like it's just not i don't think they did anything wrong by like they were clearly going for a different market i think and and that's fine and it worked for them it was a very successful console it's just yeah the the thing that's going to be beloved and remembered by everyone is the thing that absolutely everybody could afford you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Uh, Michael Berry writes in and says, with the quirky Playdate releasing soon, it made me reminisce about other video game oddities. It got me thinking about the Vectrex. I stumbled upon this unusual system a few years ago. I was amazed it took me so long to learn about this charming vector-only system. I consider myself to be well-read when it comes to video games, but this system has eluded me till only recently. Do y'all have some similar instances where you were surprised at some sort of video game history, some aspect of it that had escaped your knowledge? You know, when you say, how did I not know about this? Kelsey, I Probably assume like you've just, yeah, you've covered every ounce of territory at this point, Kelsey, right? Do you still have these moments? Uh, I I mean, early on in, in learning stuff, there were plenty of things I didn't know. And I, I can't think of any like really fun examples because, um, man, I wish I had a fun example for this. I, I definitely don't know everything. <laughs> But I don't think there's any, like not even close, but I don't think there's any moments where I'm just like, oh, my God, I was missing like this enormous chunk. Uh, I, I think the closest thing to that is probably just that I'm still learning a lot about like what was going on in Europe because it was very, yeah. very, very different than what was going on here. Um, and I think when you first anyone, especially in America, but even I mean, this is sort of the like the more common zeitgeist for video game history tends to have sort of a, a very America-centric and Japan-centric covering. Um, and so when you first start learning about it, you're like, okay, I get it. There's the game crash, there was this, blah, blah, blah. Nintendo was huge. And and then you look over at Europe and you're like, oh, none of that happened. Okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> completely different scenario over there. So that's probably, that's probably my biggest gap that I'm that I'm filling but like that I think most people probably don't have as good of a at least in America don't have as good of a grasp on yeah I think that's huge for sure 
Uh, we already kind of touched on it a little bit, but for me, it was the the Philips CDI and the weird Nintendo stuff. Like, I think I it was a little blurb in like EGM or something where it was mentioned almost casually, and it sent me down this rabbit hole of like, what? There were right. like unofficial Zelda games that released on a non Nintendo platform. Which like led to the obsession of like tracking them down on eBay and buying them, and which later turned into me tracking down the producer of the games and like interviewing them for that big Game Informer feature. Like that's one of the pieces I'm most proud of that I did at Game Informer was tracking that guy down and talking yeah. to him. Like I that blew my mind to learn that those existed. That was it's insane. Yeah, the Nintendo stuff stands out to me. I remember first time I learned about the Satellaview. I was like, this cannot be right. You're telling me that there's a sequel to Link to the Past out there that was transmitted by a satellite and nobody talks about it? It is bananas. And like a remake of the original Zelda, right? Um, and now I guess with Radical Dreamers, that stuff is kind of coming back in a weird way. And people are talking about the Satellaview again. Yeah. But then the other thing is, um, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Is it the Nintendo IQ, that Chinese console? Yeah. Um, I remember like a while ago, I think it was with the Nintendo Giga Leak. Right, they're talking about, oh, there was a PowerPoint in there talking about maybe making a Pokemon MMO in China for the Nintendo IQ. Um, but it, Kelsey, <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot as the historian. Yeah, yeah. But what is the IQ all about? What was that thing? So in like the, oh gosh, I think around the year 2000, I'm going to butcher the exact date, um, China did, they made it really, really difficult to import any video game consoles, um, but basically impossible. I mean, that they, they had a, a, a one of those moral bans, you know, like those video games are a bad influence kind of things. Right. And the only way around it was for Nintendo to set up a company that was registered with the Chinese government and like have their own separate, not Nintendo of China. They had to have like its own entire thing in China that would be, you know, sort of act as sort of the Nintendo subsidiary. And it had to be completely separate. They couldn't just, like, send over the Nintendo 64 and slap an IQ sticker on it and be like, this is this is the Chinese one. They had, they had to make a completely different kind of closed system. So um, IQ is, um, is, like, is the name of that subsidiary, and they made several consoles like there are iq nintendo ds's there are iq oh, uh, weird. yeah <laughs> um but the one that i think you're referring to is the nintendo 64 one where it was essentially like um like one of those old kind of plug and play looking things where it's just a controller that plugs into the tv and and you were able to uh get games for it digitally and they translated like 15 i think or maybe maybe it's a little bit less uh nintendo 64 games for the chinese market weird yeah look up the controller it's i q u e it looks like an n64 controller combined with like the xbox duke but then also yeah. uh like a grill on top as well it's just the weirdest looking thing yeah yeah it's so yeah. funky uh sorry jen i feel like you were gonna jump in a while ago is there a, a pocket you're still learning about everything yeah <laughs> like honestly everything all the time because i i feel like you know with our job it can be nice to have background knowledge because it can help inform you know decisions companies make or just like 
I think fundamental design elements, but that's like a lot more software based than hardware based. I think especially with like hardware becoming so similar at this point, um, even the controller is like extremely standardized. Like the craziest thing now is that like, oh, the PlayStation sticks are still like next to each other. That's like the most differentiated like yeah. element at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, really just honestly learning stuff from like Kelsey's channel um, back when like that was active, Metal Jesus and all that with like just sh- seeing old stuff and like learning about it. Um, John Riggs and like his retro gaming stuff and like i love that that person wrote in um with the vectrex because that's one that like i learned about on youtube and like i saw that and i'm like oh i really want this but like it's kind of expensive and there's like talk about something i'm not gonna play a lot but i just think it's fun that there's these like weird different like things that maybe aren't like super popular or widespread but that have um that are just kind of cool to like look at and experience yeah totally i mean it's just filling in those gaps of history. Everything always goes back further than you think. Everything's a reference to something else. But like, I thought it was interesting, like earlier in this podcast, we were talking about that little platform on the play date. And you're like, oh, it's like Shovel Knight with like jumping on the shovel. And it's like, wow, well, technically that's DuckTales on the NES. And that was a little homage going back to that. Like everything just keeps going back in line. It's, it's like very things. Yeah, <laughs> nothing, totally. Nothing is a truly original thought. Everything right. is influenced by something else. Uh, and by the way, one that I learned about recently... Um, on your podcast, Kelsey, the Video Game History Hour. Check it out, everybody. It's very good. If you're interested in this question, uh, this podcast is basically just these types of questions forever, of learning weird, super deep-cut things. But um, the LucasArts game Habitat was something that somebody brought up on your podcast recently, and I had no idea what it was. And turns out it's the first visual MMO, the first, like, visual MUD, I guess, back in the day. But it's from 1987, and it looks awesome. Just a weird first early to hey, it's the world's first metaverse, everybody. It was called Habitat. It was made by LucasArts, but I love the art style in this thing, and it just looks so funky. So that was one that I went down recently. I think you can play it in browser right now. Can you really? Right? I think so. Oh God! All right, I've got to check out Habitat. <laughs> um, are you looking at it, Kyle? Oh well, he turned his mic he's, off because he was muted. raving about oh. it in such a big way. Sorry, I pulled up a little video for it because I, I wanted to see what this art style was. Yeah, um, isn't it funky yeah, it looking? Weird. Yeah. It's just like big and chunky It's like a weird. dude on a beach with a hat talking to a pregnant woman. <laughs> now that's gaming. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Cooper writes in and says, Hey everybody, I finished my new game plus plus run of Elden Ring and I got the platinum. Huzzah! Congrats. Which, by the way, you sent it for Instagram, Kyle, that picture of you with the platinum for Elden Ring. Why didn't you ever brag about it on the podcast? That seems huge. I don't know. Should we I have the platinum and Elden Ring? I sent you a picture. I was Congratulations! I was going for um that picture. I I was going for like when like the Nintendo Power pictures people would send in of them like sitting uh, in front sure. of their TVs when they saw credits <laughs> in Super Mario or something like that. That's like me thumbs up and on my platinum and Elden Ring. Hell yeah! Uh, yeah, I got the platinum and Elden Ring. I'm I'm ten uh, percent cooler now as a result. Uh, it's much cooler. The idea of finishing Elden Ring still seems impossible to me, as much as I love it. <laughs> but it just seems like oh maybe by the end it of the day I'll finish it. It did end up being two playthroughs because there's one thing you can miss. Mm. So I had to, I did have to start over. But the fun thing about Elden Ring, not to go down an Elden Ring uh, offshoot too much, but yeah. it's like if you're New Game Plus, you can speed, like you can go anywhere and you can go really quickly and you can just rip through bosses and it's just so empowering and fun. That does sound great. Um, are you still playing Elden Ring, Kelsey? How's it going for you? Yeah, I, I'm still playing it a little bit and uh, I'm with you. I don't think I'll ever. F- finish it but like i haven't stopped enjoying it yeah i just i just know myself and uh i know how much people hate that final boss and i'm like yeah it's just i don't think that i'm ever gonna be able to do that then again i mean 
I look, I'm scared too of every boss that I haven't fought yet in Elden Ring, but at the same time, everybody was belly aching about every boss so far, and I haven't really been that frustrated yet. Like, wow, it's hard. Gamer over here. No, look, I'm terrible. It's hard. It's like, but where's just, the hard part? Everyone's. I just about. haven't hit that situation of like, this is absolutely impossible yet in Elden Ring. So I'm waiting for something to kick my ass. I know there's stuff coming up that I haven't gotten to yet, but. That's, uh, that's my that's my least favorite message in Elden Ring, by the way, is like every time you beat a hard boss, there's something on the ground that's like, didn't expect weak foe. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. Um, I'm like, that was hard. <laughs> Come on, really man. Those, you know that, right? Like, <laughs> and the worst part is Kyle. Kyle adds it just to make sure that you get it. That's exactly yeah, it. Kyle spams it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Anyways, Kevin says, hey, huzzah, blah, 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 blah. After games like Elden Ring, I feel like I need some time before I start something new. How do you choose what to play after a 10 out of 10 experience? Any palate cleanser games you'd recommend? Yeah, Pick Pack Pup. It's also a 10 out of 10, <laughs> but it's a good palate cleanser at the same time. I, I did think. not expect you to be. I mean, I, li- I like Pig Pack Pop before the people were going to like be in the comments like Jana hates Pig Pack Pop. I like Pig Pack Oof, Pop. But yeah. the way Oof. that you are like championing it, like I wasn't expecting out of this you, play run. You should be careful, Jenna, because, yeah, if you attack Pig Pack Pop, there is a aggressive community on YouTube ready to I'm really defend it. That we can all say the name correctly. <laughs> it's a good fail. name. I think something like that is a good palate cleanser, though. Just very simple. Like, that tends to be my go-to is, like, just do something that's not not a full... Like, I'm not going to start a JRPG after that. I'm going to, like, yep. do a puzzle game or a small little experience and then decide what the next big thing is. Totally. Totally. Uh, what were you saying, Janet? Um, I've, I feel like just whatever's next, but I feel like that's a very psychotic and yeah. specific to me. That's right. A piece of advice, but I'm like... You know, it's done. All right. On to the next one. Like the next thing could be wildly different. And like, I don't know, for me, like that's part of the fun is like those experiences come so infrequently and they're so refreshing and nice when you really hit something that you feel is a 10 out of 10. Um, But, you know, that's not going to happen for a while, maybe. Or maybe it'll be the next thing. I don't know. But I just kind of pick up whatever the next thing I want to finish that I was already working on or whatever the next thing that comes out. Um, But if I'm looking for something where... I want to kind of get away while still gaming. For me, that's usually whatever like casual thing that I'm constantly playing throughout my life is. So maybe that's like Animal Crossing, even though I haven't picked up Animal Crossing like at all this year because I stopped streaming it. But like I love like, you know, Splatoon 2. So like maybe I just boo up some Splatoon 2. Maybe I jump around in like levels in Mario Maker or just something that I feel like is something I always enjoy if I'm looking for like I want to be able to play something and not feel like kind of sad about what I had like left like I do think there are games that leave you kind of feeling empty at the end because you're like well that took a lot out of me or like that was such a big deal that like now what do I do like it just seems like anything's gonna be so weighted um it's kind of a nice way to kind of get away so yeah if that's pick peck pup go for it <laughs> whatever like, it is for it's, you it's a, it's a good one it's a good one that's right uh my name is Dan Redson and it says hey everybody question for Kelsey I've been rebuilding my Nintendo 64 collection. I've educated myself on common signs of counterfeit games. How often do you see people trying to sell fake copies of games in the store? Is there a particular retro game you see being reproduced as a counterfeit? Oh, yeah. I mean, Pokemon games are the most common by far, especially um, Game Boy Advance and Nintendo DS there's probably as many counterfeits out there now as there are real copies of I, those games. I remember you told me once that like you 
tested it or something. There's some test about like buying a bunch of GameStop copies of like Pokemon Emerald. What was it? Again? Yeah, when when GameStop first started selling retro games again as as an experiment, I bought 12 copies of Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, and I can't remember the exact ratio anymore, but it was almost half of them were fake. <laughs> it was like so a, a third of them or something like that. Ooh, and that's so confusing. Just the tech is that easy to reproduce them? Yeah, I mean it's it's easy. It's cheap. I mean these games are expensive now because honestly it's very very easy to lose a nintendo ds game like right. it's, or a game boy advance game it's like one of the world's easiest things to lose track of because it's just so tiny um and they're still very sought after things so even though yes pokemon sold millions of copies or whatever it's like yeah but how many of those like do people actually know where they exist in the world um and so you're looking at you know sometimes 60 to over $100 for some of these games, or you could get one, buy it now on eBay that's shipping from China or whatever for $9. And, you know, and I think a lot of times, um, yes, I do see a lot of fake games come through the store, but, um, or at least, you know, attempt to come through the store, but easily 80 to 90 percent of the time the people selling them have no idea that yeah. they are bootlegs like it's almost never malicious it's just that like they bought something off of ebay off of facebook marketplace um they bought it at gamestop you know they just have no idea and it still functions um for the most part like they're they're not made as well so they're more likely to have issues but uh yeah, no one does it maliciously. It's just if you're not thinking about the fact that something could be bootlegged, you know, like if I go to a clothing store, I know that there are high end clothing bootlegs and stuff. But if I go buy some clothes from the mall or even on the Internet or something, I'm not really thinking about like, well, is this am I getting a real one or not? Like, I just kind of implicitly trust that whatever I order is the real thing. And I think that's how most people operate and that's completely understandable so yeah there's a lot of them out there but i don't think i don't think there's a lot of people who are doing it maliciously yeah i feel like i wasn't on like i didn't think about like fake games until i saw your video kelsey that you i think you did it in collaboration with metal jesus's channel about fake games and how to spot them um and even ever since watching that i've just like been like having like my i you know i have i bought like a game boy uh game like pokemon red and i just like every time i look at it i'm like i know you're fake i can't prove it i don't know why you're fake because <laughs> i never fa even though you like and you walk through it in the video like it's a really just make cool you paranoid on yes on how to do it like how to check and do you still sell um that tool at your store for like you know just kind of easily unscrewing like the cartridges and stuff and what to look for but yeah i'm like i don't know what to look for and i'm too lazy to really like absorb the information and then i'm like should i care how much does it matter like what's your what's your take on like well can you also explain what does it mean for a game to be fake and how does that like i guess impact the you know like the retro collector's market like do you find people do care do they not is it possible to get totally duped and, and spend like a hundred dollars and still get a fake game yeah, I mean, that's that's the real thing that you want to avoid, right? Like, I don't think if, if you are just like, look, I want a cartridge and as long as it works, I'm happy. It's not like buying a copy of Pokemon Red right now. You're giving the money to the original creators. You know, you're giving it to some guy on eBay. It's it's a secondary market at this point. You're not you are no longer supporting the original creator. So it's, you know, it are bootlegs ethical. Probably not. But like, it's not as black and white as you know a bootleg copy of Elden Ring or something like that not that right. that exists but um 
you know, I, I think it, it mostly just comes down to your personal preference, but you definitely do want to avoid paying $80 for a copy of Pokemon Emerald when it is actually a $6 copy from, you know, AliExpress or whatever. Like, that's not fair to anybody. Then then you're out the real amount of money for the not real product that you cannot choose to resell for $80 down the line. So, right. um, yeah, and, and to your point about, like, it being a lot to remember... Um, not to not to like advertise myself too much, but the uh, I am very proud of the product that I made at our store, which is called a bootleg buddy, and it's a little set of screwdrivers and instruction cards with like visuals, so you can just be like, look at this, look at the cards. Does it match? Okay, then you're good. Does it not? Does it have any of these warning signs? Then maybe you shouldn't. Huh. And the tools are pink, which I appreciate. Good tools are pink. Thank nice. you. I uh, I went down a Golden Sun rabbit hole and look up. I don't know a year ago now at this point and played through Golden Sun one. I was like, all right, let's go to Golden Sun two. And I bought a copy on eBay and it came in and it was it was it was fake. It was it was not a real version. You know, I went and checked on the uh, the the car whatever that's called the the chip inside and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I'm returning this. This is BS. And then I went and like looked at the the listing and in very very small print, it was like oh, this is a reproduction. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Well, I've I, I'm I'm the I'm the fool here. I just didn't read. You the can print. still get was, your money back because you're not allowed to sell bootlegs on the right. internet. Like even if you're was, like, this is a bootleg. It's like okay, you're still <laughs> this one yeah. like legal but, things to sell. <laughs> but to your point, Kelsey, like after I kind of saw that small print, and it was like a cheaper version, right? I I did one of the cheaper versions on eBay. I was like, oh well. I just want to play Golden Sun 2, and it's totally functional. I was even able to import my save from Golden Sun 1. It totally worked and all that stuff. So, like, I was like, all right, I'm happy. <laughs> it works. I have the game I wanted to play. Yeah. Uh, Nick Olson writes in. Oh, by the way, uh, Crowboy watching us live says, Bootleg Buddy is only 20 bucks. I ordered one a year ago. So, there you go. You can get Thank them online. That, that's a thing. Sure can at pinkerellagames.com. My God. All right, Kelsey, enough with this <laughs> plugging. Uh, Nick, you set me up. <laughs> uh, Nick Olson writes in and says, Hey, Max, is there anything more satisfying than the snap of closing the clamshell of the Game Boy Advance SP? Um, no. I don't think so. Although, oh, hang on. Janet's trying it. I mean, it. the 3DS one's pretty nice as well. It's all right. Well, here's... here's yes, a, is it because you can, like, sandwich yes. close it? I never liked the SP is the other thing. Like, I didn't like... Hmm. I didn't like it. Like, I, I was not interested. I didn't like that it was, like... A weird, not Game Boy, not like I didn't. I just didn't like the vibe it. of it. Uh, White yeah. Max though has something that, uh, not related to that last question, but something very close. They say, "Is there any better feeling than reaching your destination at the same time as the song ending or the podcast ending?" No, I think I would take Wait, that it, over a Game Boy closing if I had a to quick choose. Backtrack. Yeah. What's more satisfying than the Game Boy closing? Than anything, like, the pop socket close. Pop in mm. and close in the pop socket. That's yeah. good. I just phone, I just got a new one this weekend. And Cute. Uh, yeah. Is it a bird? It's a duck. It's a duck. Nice. That's good. That's good. But yeah, it's just like, it's unmatched. There it is. Uh, this Week in Video Games writes in and says, Hey everybody, uh, there's been a few rumors swirling around this week about Nintendo's Game Boy emulator leaking. Do you think Nintendo will add Game Boy and Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance games into their Nintendo Switch Online expansion pass to add more value to that deal? So, yes. Apparently, uh, Nintendo emulator called Sloop has been leaked to 4chan, and this has resulted in the hot Twitter feed Trash Bandat Coot um, tweeting that for sure it seems like 
that Game Boy games are coming to the Nintendo Switch. I'm not smart enough to decipher all this stuff. Uh, Kyle, do you believe this is happening? Yeah, yeah, I think it's coming. From a um, 4chan post? I, but I, I would have said that if you asked me two weeks ago. I would have said it. it's like, just, just by the nature of like, they, you know, they had the virtual console on the 3DS that had Game Boy games and stuff on it, and Game Boy Advance games on Wii U. Like, yeah, that stuff, that stuff needs to come to Switch. Why not? So let's bring it. It seems early. So it seems like they're rolling out some pretty big hitters for the N64. So I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, the thing that, was, the thing about Nintendo, supposedly, right? Like, there's not really a great confirmation of this, but there's the idea that they've always got stuff pocketed that they just hold on to until it's ready. The Metroid right. Prime remaster theory? The Metroid Prime, they, that's the, the with the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 date being pushed up. Everyone's right. assumption is like, oh, the game's been done for a while. Something slipped, so they're moving that into the slot. And it's like, I mean, logically that makes sense. So I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but it, it feels right. They have an emergency release Mother 3 button that's like <laughs> the panic button if they're ever caught in like a really bad scandal or something. It's just like, ah, distract everybody. Well, yeah. Please work, please work. There's some stuff happening right now, so maybe maybe uh, King Bowser over there is ready to slam his hand yeah. down on it. <laughs> um, yeah, Kelsey, I know Xenoblade Chronicles is a favorite of yours. Did you have thoughts on 3 moving up to, what, a July release date now? I'm really excited, but also I think that butts up against uh, Live Alive now, too, Ooh. which sucks because I was looking forward to playing that, but like I'm not going to prioritize that over Xenoblade Chronicles 3, so yeah. that that part is upsetting to me. Like, I'm not... There are very few games where I'm like, I need to play it. Like, the sooner I play it, the better, because there's so many games that I still need to get to, so you know, even if they delayed Xenoblade to next year, I wouldn't be heartbroken i'd be like well i'm excited to get to it when that comes out because yep. i love that game and there's like ten thousand other games i need to play in between so yeah uh jordan blaney wrote in just talking about uh monolith soft and how they don't get enough credit as a nintendo developer and i think you're right yeah there should be more love for monolith soft it's just awesome that you know on nintendo's end even that they're supporting jrpgs in such a big way and letting that studio make some weird hardcore stuff and it I don't know, like, I'm a big Xenogears fan, and so I still love that, like, there's such an interesting line going all the way now to 2022 with these games. It's weird. Um, let's see, Victor Fam writes in, oh boy, and says, hey, is it enough that a game is preserved somewhere, even if not available to the public, or should all games be readily available to play at any time? Now, this is a biggie. Kelsey, I feel like this entire episode has been lobbing softballs to you, but I feel like this is exactly your cup of tea. No, this is this is actually one of my favorite questions because I think it's I think it's a very fair one and a very interesting one. Um, and gosh, where do you even start with this? Um, OK, so in a perfect world, access and preservation are the exact same thing, right? Like that is that is the ideal world scenario. And I think the world that like, I don't think there's anyone other than, you know, company shareholders who who don't think that's the case. Like, pick whatever, you know, preservation group you're talking to and whatever rules that they have. And even like even like internal archivists, probably at a lot of these companies, like everyone wants this stuff to be as accessible as possible. So it's there's levels to it and preservation does not inherently mean access um and there are things that i think are going to be changing 
changing a lot as sort of the landscape has changed. I mean, you know, this has come up before on the show, but obviously we're not in a world anymore where like you buy a cartridge at the store and that's the final game. And if you rip the data off of that cartridge, it's the exact same for everybody, the exact same experience every single time. I mean, we're just, we're way beyond that. There are games that are released digital only. There are live service games. Um, even MMOs have this problem where it's it's just not a simple you know, preserving a game is not a, a simple get the data off of the thing thing anymore. Um, and I think it it makes I think it forces us to kind of rethink what we believe preservation to be. Like, what is the most important part for the future? Is it that everybody has the ability to play all 50,000 mobile games and Steam games and live service games and every single iteration of those? Um, or is it enough to know a good amount about the games? Maybe have, like, gameplay footage and commentary and, like, you know, a good amount of information about about how something existed and what was on it? Um, I mean... I, sorry, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but the, the point is that, like, yeah, ideal world, everything would be totally, totally accessible, and uh, we don't really live in that world anymore where that's going to be possible, even given all of the money and manpower in the world. Does that... Does that makes sense. A, a little bit, yeah. There's it just it, there's a bottomless well of the discussion here. I know that uh, yeah. Frank. I mean, he had maybe the longest Twitter thread I've ever seen in my life this week, talking about exactly that idea of okay, there's this auction house, and he's been working with them. I assume you have as well about preserving at least a record of these auctions for these prototypes. Yeah. and everybody online this was is, upset that they're not being whole, scanned. Yeah, it's yeah. A whole thing. Th- this is a, a very um, a very long thing, and I. I I encourage people to just read that entire thread because I think that's that's you really have to understand the entire situation there to um, I mean, I'll I'll try to summarize it. But basically. Prototype video games, what this is about specifically is that there are people who are really interested in collecting prototype video games. Now, it's not just people who are interested in preservation. It's also, and and this has been true forever. It just hasn't been quite as high profile. There's always been a subset of collectors um, who are gaining in number and in wealth now, who are really interested in having unreleased or prototype or, you know, beta, like however you want to phrase it, just pre-release versions of video games as a collectible. And they have been sending these in to get, like, encased, like, slabbed and tombed and everything. And, um... And they they genu they generally think that if the data on it is public, then their collectible is worth less money, and that's yeah, unfortunately provable with sure you know with history like that that tends to be true. If something is available online for everybody, then their collectible is worth a little bit less. They can't sell it for quite as much. Um, it sucks. It's very stupid. Um, I I don't like it, but it is reality. And there's not a lot, like, you know, these people have been collecting this stuff for years and years, and just yelling about it doesn't change the fact that they have a lot of money and that they they do it anyways. Um, So something, like, uh, the compromise that is happening now is that we are preserving the data on them so that you now, in the future, would never have to, like, 
ask the owner to not only release the game, but they'd have to like break the casing that this collectible is in in the first place to get that data off of it, right? Right. So just dumping um, the ROMs before the auction house gives it back to the person. That's the idea. Yes. Okay. Um, but not only that, also writing up a report that's that basically says if this is interesting in any way. So in a lot of cases, uh, these prototype games, I mean, you know, you guys worked at Game Informer, you got review builds, probably at least some on like disc or something before they stopped doing that and all just became codes. Um, Usually what they're sending you is like pretty darn close to final. I mean, it's like weeks from when it actually goes to be pressed. They're not changing anything major in there. It's like a 2% buggier version of the exact same game, right? Right, right. Um, And that tends to be the case. It's like there's, you know, from this evaluation, you can be like, okay, this is, this is like a week out from final. We saw no art differences, no sound differences, no writing differences, nothing. Like it's just small bug fixes. Um, and then in some case, it literally matches the final ROMs too. You know, it's just on a like non-retail board. So... The very nice thing about that is that when these do go up for sale, because a lot of these people who collect them as collectibles, you know, they're, they're trying to make a valuable investment and, and resell it and everything. Um, we now have a public report that's like, hey, guys, you don't have to worry about this one. Right. Like, don't bother crowdfunding for this because it's there's absolutely nothing interesting on it. The best one being... Um, that there was a Zelda prototype, like Zelda on the NES prototype, which seems like, oh God, what could possibly be on there? The totally. possibilities are endless. It's just the final pal ROM. So now instead of this, you know, people crowdfunding $20,000 or whatever to try to purchase things from a high-end collector, we can just be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. There's nothing interesting on it. Um, yeah, but but the fans online and there's a community online that's upset about like, well, just release that ROM. Like, just dump everything on the internet. You've kind of lost your pirate spirit. Why aren't God, you giving I, this to I everybody? I wish we could, but the... Right. I mean, what happens then is, you know, we break the contract, right? Now all of a sudden, no one trusts sending us anything anymore, and now nothing gets preserved or known about, and we go back to square one, where things just get entombed without anyone being able to at least look at it first. Right. And, it, you know... I really do believe that now it's just a matter of social engineering because like a lot of these people, I think some of them you could convince like, hey, you know, could I look at that or could I put that online? It's already been dumped. I can just, you know, I could just ask for for the file. You don't have to take it out of your case. And like, I think you could get some of them to agree to that. But um yeah, it's a it's a complicated situation uh, to explain in a podcast, and I think the thread does a really good job of um, like really breaking out the entire situation. But right, there's a you can either make zero progress or make like thirty percent progress, and we're choosing the path of thirty percent progress. You know what I mean? Right. And it's and I actually think that the um, that the it all being public reports. Thing is huge. I think that that's going to just waste so much less time and money in the long run because, like I said, 90% of these are not even remotely interesting and there's there's no reason to, to crowdfund for them or, uh, or care about them as um, for like their historical value and they can just be a, a neat collectible for the kind of people who are into that. 
Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for unpacking that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know it's a lot, but uh, I hope you really dive in on the Video Game History Hour podcast at some point, too, with, with Frank and kind of unpack the whole situation. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Okay. I mean, it's 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 really it, it's one of those weird scenarios where it's just like you you sometimes got to work. You got to work for a compromise that is not ideal right. when the other option is nothing. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, as a follow-up question, Chris Logan asks, do you consider your current hairstyle to be timeless, or do you expect to look back on it 30 years from now and say, wow, that is such a 2020s look? Uh, Kyle, uh, yes, take it, take it away, please. Uh, time, timeless? Do you I have guess? timeless I hair? <laughs> I don't really do anything with it. It's not a style, it's just What long. do you mean? <laughs> you totally do so. You have long hair, you've changed your style over the years, that's, that's beyond, you part it? Everything is a choice that you're doing right now, Kyle. But I, honestly, the part is weird because I'll cut my hair short and the part kind of ends up over here. And then it, it like it moves over as it gets longer. I don't know, it's very strange. I really do very little to my hair. Do you comb like, it? I, it's weird for me to even think of it as a hairstyle because just, I just let it be long. Maybe I'm confusing style with like noticeable. But like, Kyle, you have noticeable Again. hair, I think is what I'm trying to get. Yeah, at. I think that's fair. But yeah. I just, I don't, I didn't do a, I didn't go to the salon and be like, give me that one, you know? I refuse <laughs> to believe that. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Believe what you want, man. I remember one time a friend of mine said that my style throughout my entire life was so boring that I could be a time traveler and go undetected in any era. And I, <laughs> and I think that was said with love, but I, I think of that with my hair. It's like, I, the, I think my hair is the ultimate zero. Although I feel like in the last sure. couple of years, I made the shift of like, you know, normally I would do absolutely nothing or whatever. And then like a year ago or so I started like, oh, I should like just push it up a little bit. I think that's like a somewhat semblance of a look to... Are those are these I bangs, Janet? I don't know. I like having a little a little flap over here. Yeah, right? just a little mini so. cowlick thing. <laughs> so yeah. maybe I don't think even that will be seen as a 2022 thing, though. I think I'm still imperceptible through time. Um, and Janet Kelsey, <laughs> you're going with the immortal hair route, or do you think it's going to be a, a clear timestamp? I feel like our hair looks pretty general. Like I think we could have. <laughs> I think we could. Like well, at least for me, like I feel like I could have had this hair. A long time ago because i've just kind of really gone for different lengths and how curly my hair is because mm -hmm. it's naturally pretty curly but when i was a kid i would straighten it a lot yeah i don't think there's anything too time distinctive about my hair when i think of this question i think of like the hair trends that kind of happen like back in like uh, the late 2010s like 2012 or whatever they had um like you know having like certain hair dye was like a really big thing like that kind of gradient dye was like a big deal and now i feel like having the if you have like some gray in the front or something like the kind of like little skunk look that's sort of a mm. very 2022 thing um balayage is very popular but since i don't dye it i don't think i have anything that's too distinctive at this point yeah I do think the one thing that uh, the one thing that we have is it, some some zoomers would call this millennial hair because I, I think the, the middle part. part. Yeah, the middle part yeah. is back in and I, you can always tell who's, you know, who's still like, no, I don't I don't think I look good with a middle part and I refuse and I still I like the middle part. Jeans. Leave me alone. I did the, yeah, I did the middle part a little bit like last year. It was fine. It was better than it was when I was like. <laughs> first did it when I was like what 12 or something and like you always look terrible when you're 12 because you're a child so <laughs> um but yeah I mean I think like going to my hairstylist and like having like I finally got a haircut a few 
months ago for the first time in a really long time because like moving the pandemic mm. and the pandemic still exists by the way i don't want to pretend like it's done but at a certain point i'm like i think it's time to cut my hair because it's been two years so you know um yeah and she also recommended that i do the side part so i think it's yeah i mean I, you, I feel fine with it I, I don't understand how people I know this is a very naive question. How people even notice trends or you know where parting your hair is the trendy part. Where does this knowledge come from? Are you just studying women. hair around the street? Yeah, what she said. Yeah, just women. Just like, women? It's funny because I, you know, we talk about TikTok on here a few times, but I know you finally like got on there and it's very like algorithm specific. Yeah. And um, and I've seen other women make the same, have the same experience on TikTok with their For You page. But I, I remember like scrolling once and my boyfriend was watching me scroll and he's like, there are like no men on your For You page. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, like there men don't exist on my TikTok. <laughs> I see like a couple men every now and then. But even then, it's like, oh, they're with their wives, though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. Yeah, I almost don't ever see any men. And that's like a big thing that like I've seen women talk about of different hair trends or things they want to try or like the side wow. part versus middle part. Um, you know, everyone knows that like bangs are for your like the joke is like your mental breakdown moment, which I've had bangs before as well. Like, you know, it's not no shade <laughs> to bangs. But, you know, yeah, these are things that women discuss. Like, I'll be these are the topics in the community. You ever, you ever see like, you know, fashion magazines, Ben? Like at the oh, doctor's office. I thought those were just stuff. like props and movies. Those are no, real things. No, they, they have real content. I'll in be them. damned. Yeah. I'll be damned. <laughs> uh, Owen McCarter writes in uh, and says, Hey, Max, how competitive are you with other video game media outlets? Do you see another outlet and get an interview with someone with someone cool and get a little envious? Uh, sometimes. How of the interview thing, I think, I, I don't know. It's not too often. They're like, ah, how did they get them and we couldn't? Um, I don't know, Janet, do you get jealous? Um, not really, but I, I thumbs up this question because I think it's interesting yeah. um, and definitely can be a problem, I think, for some people. Ooh. If they're like, too, I, I don't think you should ever be too competitive. Um, I feel like we all like I'm of the belief that we there's enough stuff for everybody. Like, yeah. I think there's enough like brand deals, whatever. Like, I don't think anyone <laughs> getting anything takes anything from me. Like, I feel like if other people succeed on Patreon, that's not taking away from my Patreon, though, because I wasn't going to get those people because if if they wanted to be there they would be which maybe is like kind of shocking for some people to hear i know it's hard to like succeed on patreon because i the first time i did it you know i only had like maybe a hundred bucks which was hey nothing to sneeze at like as a small creator that was a hundred more bucks than a lot of people can get That's awesome. um but now i'm like you know further in the hundreds because i'm more popular etc um the closest to competition that i've ever had to feel is i used to do guides and at least on my team trying to rank number one on google was a big part of my huh. job yeah. um and and i did really start to like kind of get ingrained with that not like in a super malicious way but i really wanted to like i'm like okay well this this site's page is outranking mine like why like what can i do to change it like i want it because i know if i bring that to like my bosses they're that's good so i like i kind of and i really hated that <laughs> um especially because google is so random that like and i'm not like an seo expert either so i'm like i don't know i made it as good as i could as fast as i could uh, I guess I'll change the H2 tag here. Like, I don't know. So I, it always felt like kind of scary in the sense that like I'd put something out or we'd put something out and I'm like, I hope this ranks well because like, I don't know how to make it not, how to make it better. That's like the only right. closest thing to competition that I've had to do. Yeah. And I did not like it. And I'm really glad that I no longer ever have to think about how many views did MinMax get versus kind of funny? How many views did I get versus, you know, um, Khalif on the Playdate review? I mean, I might still look at like their content, but right. I don't 
I'm not at all trying to outperform any specific person. Yeah. And I have no incentive to, and no one's ever going to ask me about it at this point. And I love that I don't have to talk about that anymore. Well, it's because you have a foot in every pond. You know, you can't be competitive with MinMax. You're kind of funny because you're just over everything. But I'm, I am, I am jealous. That's a hack too. Just work for everybody. At the That's same time. really genius. Yeah. I'm jealous mm-hmm. of like even seeing kind of funny stuff on TikTok or like Instagram. It's like, ah. Oh, they're so good with their clips. I wish we had the manpower to like be better about putting subtitles on our clips and making everything this, you know, over the top GIF and stuff. Whenever somebody says something, it feels like there's they're a well-oiled machine over there. Um, so yeah, it's not not so much competition, but like jealousy. I do get jealous about like I look at even like Easy Allies as like YouTube subscribers, and it is just a tower compared to our small molehill. It's like God. Just imagine what we could do with that level of support. Just imagine. So that that's more of where I'm coming from. Or even like framing a podcast, you know, where it's like eh, a lot of podcasts are covering the same weekly news and all that stuff. And everyone's probably see a headline for another podcast out there. And it's like, oh, that's a really good way to package it. That's a really good thumbnail. Yeah. Like that type of thing. I think it's really fun to, to keep your eye on. Um, well, Timothy, ben, you sent me recently, you DM me like a, a Ben Schwartz interview where he yeah. was like looking at his classic game collection. And that, and that is something that I get jealous of specifically with him because like he's sonic the hedgehog now and everyone wants to talk to him about video games but like you and me we've been trying to talk to him about video games since he was making final fantasy 6 jokes on comedy right that's right way ahead of the curve on ben schwartz you know (laughs) and he still won't talk to us (laughs) right the closest i ever got and this was like before sonic the hedgehog was i used the game informer instagram account to to message him when he was in minneapolis doing (laughs) stand-up And he asked for the address to the office, oh. and I gave it to him, and I never heard back. And I was like, oh, through our fingers, well, he, we almost like, got to talk to Ben Schwartz about Final <laughs> Fantasy VI. Oh. He walked by and looked at the building and was like, oh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now everyone's talking to him because he's promoting Sonic. You know, good God, time. we used to be cool, man. But hey, Camille Nanjiani came so and played cool. Super Castlevania Four with us, so that, that's something. Did. That, was, that was before he hit it big. I'll, I'll be that's proud right. of that. I got to talk to Daniel Gould about Gex. So, I mean, there's look, we all get our victories in different ways, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Timothy Smith. Uh, it says, right now, my two-year-old is very into stuffed animals. Uh, she has to go to bed with them and holds them in the morning. Problem is, we're at capacity. She has reached the limit of what she can carry. My wife wants her to get another, and I say nay. I know she'll be upset that she can't carry them all. What should I do? This is a tough one. Kyle. I have like 200 beanie babies. <laughs> keep throwing them at them. Wait. Oh, wait. We all have the same answer at once. Blushes. Like, yep. Do you still have the Beanie buddy, Babies costume? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. But, like, you know, Beanie Babies, part of the magic of them was that they were now, literally, handsome. like, $5 and tiny. And, yeah, I think plushies <laughs> now that kids are into are much larger. Like, when I go to the store, um, oh, nice. Janet's got a Janet stockpile. Janet still has Beanie Babies. Nice. I, they they tend on, to be, <laughs> they tend to be, yeah, like, the larger, like, Squishmallow kind of things and yeah i think there is a limit on that but you know if you just go okay. with like the beanie baby size stuff uh right you can kind of no, go my forever. house is nearly made of squishmallows it's almost replaced the uh structural integrity of the house so i've never heard that word squishmallows okay so it's just a big soft weird thing it oh kind of god look at this thing janet's got a giant raccoon yes yeah, so i have um i got a lot of this is like this is my moment you know this is my expertise <laughs> right, if i was gaming right. It was always stuffed animals. Um, 
Yeah, I love stuffed animals. Like ever since I was a kid, I like them a lot more than dolls personally. But I did the same thing that you do with dolls, you know, play pretend and stuff and have them talk to each other. Um, but for me, that's what I was big on. And I like only really got doll stuff for the like accessories because they don't really make, you know, this is pre Build-A-Bear. So they didn't really have like stuff for stuffed animals. So I'm like, well, you know, kick Barbie out of that van and it's now my bear's house. You know, this is like kind of what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, these are I have a couple. I never collected them, um, but I had like a few different Beanie Babies and just generic stuffed animals, too. Um, that I had just from my childhood and I kept them because they were like a big part of me growing up. You know, this is like this one's named Papa Bear. This one's named Dobie. This is Bruno. I had a whole backstory line. I had an animal football league where like they all played <laughs> football, football together. And, and my brother played with me, too, which was like so cool of him because looking back, like with that age gap, we're six years apart. So I'm like, he's straight up in high school. You know, totally different experience. I'm like in, in, in elementary school or whatever. And he's still pretending like that this is there's a quarterback and all this stuff like on That's this amazing. carpet we had um and in the modern era i have squishmallows this is the biggest one i have oh um God. it's like the insanely large costco size i only have one of these because they are huge even though they're awesome but i mean i think for the question like is there a limit i think there's like a slight limit in terms of physical space like you might want to establish <laughs> boundaries of like right. hey if you like i was trying to think of this for like if when i eventually have a kid like like well there's a certain maybe like you keep it in your room or like there's also a walkability issue like can you get out of bed in the morning like how crazy is this gonna get but yeah i mean i loved having stuffed animals and i could totally if i was a kid now i could totally see myself having a bunch of different squishmallows um for myself i have like i think i own like three or four at this point, but my boyfriend also has some because I got him into the mallows. So now we have like a bunch what of the hell's happening over there. Time. Yeah, like they're honestly like don't sleep on these squish mallows. I, I don't will. know if it's like if, I think you should if you're sleep on them because no, they're yeah, really yeah, comfy. That's a good point. You're right. Don't metaphorically sleep on the squish mallows, but literally sleep on them. They're so comfortable. They're like what pillow pets thought they were making, which like I had pillow pets at the time. There's the no shade of the product, but like <laughs> they're so good. Um, squish mallows are awesome. They're cute. Uh -huh, uh -huh. They're they're like the best product. I've been trying to like yo know, squish mallows. If you're <laughs> the listening, best product. Hey toys, I've been trying to hit you up for a minute. <laughs> Uh -huh. Where's the deal? You know, like I, I love Squishmallows. I they need like, influencers. I ha yeah, I mean, I have. They probably <laughs> don't. I mean, the product is so good; it sells itself. Like they sell it all the time. But yeah, get get more, get, get more. more, stack them up. They're great. I uh, yeah, I really wanted to spoil my nephews, um, and also I think it's really fun. So like when they were a good age for it, I bought them a giant raptor from uh, Jurassic World. It's blue from Jurassic World, but it's like almost life-size raptor just ridiculously big like i always thought that'd be fun to like buy something for a kid that was bigger than them and then i also got them huge 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 uh pokemon so like pikachu and squirtle that were also bigger than them and i was like oh my god i'm the greatest uncle ever this is wonderful and then my nephew apparently <laughs> was at a friend's house and saw a glimpse on the tv of the goosebumps show and apparently there's an episode where toys come alive and kill people or something like that, or toys come alive. And at that point, he was so freaked out and he got rid of all of his stuffed animals. And so like all those huge gifts that I gave him was like, nope, they cannot be anywhere near me right now because they're going to murder me. I also had that moment where I'm like, do they come to life at night? My brother's like, no, you're good. Like, you can never tell. pretend. You can never you know, tell, though. like this. They're not coming to life as in a toy story thing. But I did have that thing with I had a, um, you know, especially like back in the day, they had a lot of these like generic dolls. It's all like Kmart that are like life size, like me size doll. You know, when, back when you're like three or four. Totally. Tall. Yep. I had one of those um, and I put it would put it on my hamper in the corner of my room at night. And I had a nightmare 
one night that it was like out to kill me and i woke up and i i woke up and i saw it looking at me and i screamed like oh, i was like no. one of my few vivid childhood memories my parents had to take me into their room to like sleep there because i was horrified at Oof. this murderous doll watching me sleep at night rough life we've all had mm-hmm. um so yeah i guess just keep spoiling your kid forever and nothing will ever go wrong um dustin l writes in hey any baseball fans on the podcast today There it is. Uh, Watching the Cardinals-Brewers game recently, and I was shocked by the amount of video game music the Brewers used in their stadium. From the Mario death jingle when the opposing team struck out to play old-school Pokemon battle music during mound visits. What? That sounds fantastic. Wait, Um, was this... At um oh it's not Miller Park anymore uh, American Family Stadium was it the at the Brewers or at I think uh, I Arnold's? don't know I don't know but okay. we're all very impressed by your knowledge. Um, Dustin I'm says I'm going to a Brewers game in like a week so that's why I'm that's why I'm asking I'm like should I be excited for this? Yeah get ready for just, it's going to be basically like a Pokemon battle in that arena it's going to be great. <laughs> um anyways my question is what are some good baseball games and by that I mean a video game that I can play on TV while half watching a baseball game on another TV. Mm. That is the exact same as podcast games. Yeah. 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 And I usually like to listen to the radio broadcasts of baseball games. um, Really? Rather than watch it on TV. So it literally is like a podcast. Huh. And you. (laughs) I'm fascinated by people that are listening to baseball. And you really, on a regular basis, you just listen to a full baseball game like it's a podcast? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the thing, bizarre. this isn't universally true, but yeah. the thing that tends to be true about the radio broadcast versus the TV broadcast, the TV guys know that you can also see the screen, so they don't articulate, they tend to not articulate everything quite as much, whereas right. the radio people know that you're not seeing anything, so they give you like a better description of what's happening, I think. And because I'm always only half paying attention and, you know playing a game or working or something like that yeah. while listening to it, I, that tends to work out a little bit better for me. But yeah, it's, it's, it is identical to just podcast games to me in my head. Huh. I, I like it. Um, yeah, it is weird. It's like America's pastime. I mean, I want to judge it to be like, how good can baseball be if everyone's half paying attention? But like, I get it. It feels like, you know, a remaster of a JRPG where you can speed it up by three. It's like, yeah, there are faults in all these things, but it's overall the experience is, is something special. It's just nice being outside, you know? Yeah, I mean, I like, I love baseball movies and I like going to watch the, the Twins stadiums like, are every like year. Really, it's like one of the nicest sporting events because like, I think yeah. the stadiums are often like really beautiful um, and the hot dogs are good. So, that and then true. also if you're with someone who like, is more casual. They're like, all right, we don't got to watch the whole thing. We can leave early. I'm like, okay, great. Like, we're just hanging out a little bit and, you know, maybe we stay, maybe we don't. And if it's 4th of July, there's fireworks. It's fun. Yeah, time. it seems good. Also, you guys I have got, a um, beautiful stadium in Minneapolis. It is too. nice. Target Field is yeah. awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. We worked hard on it. Um, shout out to the Dodgers, though, because I went on the McDonald's app the other day and apparently they got six runs, which gave me six free chicken nuggets. So. Oh! Baseball is good. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, that's enough reason that you don't get that with other things. I'm like, what has gaming ever done for me? I don't get free nuggets from that. <laughs> do you um do you play MLB The Show at all, Kelsey? Not really. Okay. I just, it's, um, I mean, I, I love baseball, but it's not, like, I don't want to play it. I don't want to, like, Ooh. you know experience it like some people like soccer and they also like playing soccer and that sort of thing but baseball to me is like no this is like it's like a tv show i like or something like i'm not trying to be inside the tv show i just 
it's I enjoy it as entertainment. Have you ever like I don't really like watching baseball to a, to a big degree, but I do like just getting into like home run derbies and stuff with friends. Like that's still super fun. Have you ever done that? Just a simple just hit like the catch? ball. I like playing I guess catch. So. I guess. Yeah, that's it. That yeah. counts. That's all baseball is. Okay. Um, <laughs> Philly Eat Steak, last question, says, anyone else hope that AA batteries become obsolete during a lifetime? I have so few devices that require them at this point, and it's always a big hassle when I have to replace them. Are there any other pieces of tech you hope go away? I want, I want to speak out in defense of, of uh, disposable batteries Sacrilege. real quick. Um, only because rechargeable batteries are the worst ticking time bomb on all of our tech imaginable like none of our stuff is going to work especially handhelds and that sort of thing they are all going to implode because of these uh rechargeable batteries they're just not nearly as like a battery a disposable battery will explode but you just kind of clean it out with some battery acid and it's or with a sorry you clean out the battery acid with some with some like vinegar or whatever yeah um and then and then it's good as new you didn't like destroy the whole device but um these rechargeable batteries, man. Like, if you're not playing your 3DS anymore, you're probably not going to play it for a while. Get a little screwdriver. Take that guy out of there, because uh, you're gonna you're gonna ruin mm, your stuff. That's interesting, huh? All right. Well, maybe there's an upside to this stuff. But any other yeah. tech that anybody hopes goes away forever? Printers. I don't want like <laughs> printers. Like, I feel like. But then how many printers? Was, I mean, no, I just I just hate printers. I don't want no printers one, to go no away. I just want printers. them to work. Yeah. There should be something maybe better than the than like modern printer. Um, I'm tired of not everything taking USB C. I feel like that has many flaws. Mm. Um, me making that statement, but like, I don't want to have to keep thinking about what what I need to plug in for Stop this. Like, my it. iPhone doesn't take USB C. Stop changing it. Why have we had so many different? we've had mini USB, micro USB, USB-C, regular USB, like, just stop changing. Thunderbolt. Stop. Stop. I mean, I will say, I am enjoying the sort of USB-C revolution. I feel like everything is USB-C, and I'd like, let's just, let's stick there, and let's just stay on that track for a while. But will we stick there? That's the problem. Absolutely not. Come out with Um, USB-C. But I was going to say, I feel like, I feel like multiple buttons have just like disappeared like so many like like monitors and tvs and different electronics all limit how many physical buttons yeah there are. and i miss physical buttons i think like mm. I, I bought a tv kind of recently and there's one button on the bottom that's like that's everything that's volume that's like tv that's like power that's going through the menus i'm like we can have like five or six buttons like it's not a problem <laughs> we like, gave you buttons before buttons. it didn't work buttons are very 1980s kyle come on what are or you like on and off switches everything now is like hold it down right for a second or like just let's have a switch again yeah i bet yeah. there's gonna be a market for that like big clunky tvs not even crt but just like I want a nice HDTV with just a huge on-off switch. It's just a big, big metallic clunk when you flip it or something, you know? Yeah. You have to get to change the channel again. Yeah. Is it too much to ask? Uh, all right. Uh, so what do y'all like for question of the week? We had the old hardware that we still own. I like that. We got to see a tour of Kelsey's cool old Nintendo stuff. What other podcasts can you look at that, that cool. at? Uh, let's see. Oh, video game history that escaped our knowledge, I think was good. Um, the, the, the big one about... Uh, video games being preserved for the public or stored away forever. Hairstyle, stuffed animals. What are y'all thinking? Yeah, we went deep on a lot of these. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot of good stuff this week. I like the the surprise, but I also like, I have a very vivid memory of learning about Philip CDI Zelda. (laughs) Maybe I'm just partial to that one. Uh, Yeah, I like that one, that pocket of history. Janet, which way are you leaning? I'm good with that one. Yeah? 
I like it. If I may, I mean, the one about the old hardware we own, like, that prompted Kelsey to go show us an old Nintendo stretchy hand. I've never seen one of those in my life cool. before. Like, stretchy hand. WarioWare. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll go with this one. Uh, congratulations, Michael Berry, about the pocket of video game history that escaped our knowledge. Congratulations, we'll ship out uh, a vinyl copy of Battletoads, thanks to I8Bit. Um, hey, and now it's time for something that we call Get a Load of This. All right, Kyle. Wow us, dude. Um, can I, I... I have an audio one a little bit. I'm worried about it, though. Maybe we can... It, it has some licensed like music in it, but it's like short clips. Oh, Do you think that's gonna be a problem? We're gonna be so screwed. But go ahead. Mm. What is it? You, are you saying? Well, it what to it me? is is it's like it's it's maybe it's common knowledge, but it's this TikTok uh, from this guy like the Jana, and he shares a which like I said maybe this is wait hold on a second get a load of this you guys <gasps> sorry I almost screwed that up I almost screwed that up uh, but this guy he shared. Um, where a bunch of Sonic the Hedgehog music is sampled from specifically, like from pop music and stuff like that. And he shares like a bunch that I had no clue, like these like Sonic themes that I'm super familiar with, like I did not realize were like these 90s hip hop hits that were just being sampled and kind of rearranged for Sonic the Hedgehog music. Well, there's like the Michael Jackson for Sonic 3. That's the big go to, right? Right. And this 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 video has him from like all the Sonics uh, from all the different um, um Oh, yeah, like there's it. one, let's see. Uh there's a song from uh what is it? I'm not sure the year, but it's called it's called Ma- Music to Watch the Girls By by Andy Williams and <laughs> uh-huh. that song is basically sampled uh for Sonic's Marble Zone. Like Marble Zone is basically just like a a cover of that song. Weird. Um well, there's stuff yeah. like that and it's a TikTok that shares a bunch of those. Cool. There's a link below if you want to check it out on your own. Uh hey, get a load of this kind of in a similar vein. Um, I did not know this existed. This is a good example of a pocket of history I had no idea about. Is um, Recently, it's been remastered and restored in 4K and uploaded to archive.org, but a Super Mario Brothers movie from 1986. It's Super Mario Brothers. It's called The Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach, and it's an animated film from 1986 uh, that looks absolutely bizarre, and I just skimmed through it. I do kind of want to watch it someday. Um, but the weird thing is, 1996, since it's after just the first game, they made this animated film, and apparently it's the first movie based on a video game ever. Um, but at the end of it, he's fighting Bowser, and he grabs him by the tail and, like, twirls him around and throws him, like in Super Mario 64. So it's like, maybe huh. that's just the natural way that you defeat a Bowser. Uh, it's weird, like, oh, this movie, you know, jumped ahead. Uh, so there's a link below if you want to watch that super weird thing. Kyle, I, I would enjoy it on a personal level, if you watch it with your family and uh, wrote a review for us, please. Thank you. Okay, sure. Will do. Okay, cool. Um, Kelsey, you got one? Yeah, get a load of this. This is a, an older one, but um, I just found out about it today and I'm excited about it. Um, the source code for Apollo 11 is on GitHub. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> and it has been for several years, but um, you can just like read the source code of what got us to the moon and there's... and. And programmers have been just as silly and stupid in their code it's since since those days. Like it's they've got some just dumb like on line six six six, um, they just make a comment that's like numero misterioso and there's, there's a <laughs> reference to uh the song Burn Baby Burn. 
And there's a couple really uh, scary things in there where there's a couple lines with the comment, like, temporary, I hope. And it's like, you're sending people to the moon. Oh, my <laughs> God. I think if, if there was like an all-knowing supercomputer, some sort of godlike entity, the first question I would ask is just like, what was the percentage chance of a successful Apollo 11? I feel like it had to be 30 Seven percent chance that that worked out as well as it did. Right? That's it. You nailed it. Oh, thirty-seven percent. Are you saying I'm a god? I think so. Thank you so much, <laughs> uh, Janet. You got one? Yeah. Get a load of this. Uh, this also I originally found on TikTok, but then I just did some quick googling to get a more detailed article. But just that uh, this like celestial seasonings, like the sleepy bear tea. Yeah. Has like weird religious slash cult backgrounds where like some of the company ideology was like founded on that and then they're like oh yeah like they use some of the quotes for like the descriptions on like the tea boxes and stuff and i'm like huh that's a little unsettling so yeah um i don't know i think i'm probably still gonna drink the tea like i don't know how much this matters in the modern era but um, we'll never look at that sleeping bear the same. Yeah, you can drink their tea. Don't drink their Kool-Aid, though. That's where it word. Hey, get a load of this from the community in the Discord. They shared uh, Leafeon. I mean, Leafeon shared this uh, news story, which is wild, that Amy Hennig, not only is she making a Marvel game, but she's now also making another Star Wars game with Skydance New Media. Um, this is obviously the creative director for the Uncharted series before Uncharted 4, and she was working on that Star Wars game at Visceral, Project Ragtag, which... We talked about it in an interview with MinMax a while ago, if you want to find that on our channel, um, with a producer on the game. But um, that game got canceled. It's very sad. But now, apparently, Star Wars must, or Disney must feel so confident in her work on that Marvel game that they decided to give her a Star Wars game as well. So I don't know how she's juggling all that and how big that team can be over there, but it's, it's cool to see her get a second chance to make a Star Wars game. Um, all right. That's it, everybody. Thanks so much for watching and listening to this episode of the MinMax Show podcast. Uh, listening to this podcast is really just the tip of the iceberg. Please check us out on YouTube. Check out everything going on there. New show plus this week. People voted for it, and it was a very fun, weird episode uh, where the show this week is called Cooking Competitors, and it was Janet versus Leo in a one-hour cooking tournament. How do you feel about it in retrospect, Janet? Um, I'm a little bit salty about how some of... The things turned out. Um, mm-hmm. I, no spoilers in case you want to go back and watch. <laughs> Who like, can the say what happens? But I will say um, that I did later eat the thing that I made and yeah. it was awesome. It's always good. I think it's yeah. almost already gone. Um, people got seconds. Like, it, my family liked it. So, you know, that's all that really matters. <laughs> uh, also, we have Party Chat, our Patreon exclusive podcast that goes up every single Monday this week. Kyle and I uh, reviewed, without spoilers, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is an excellent, excellent film. We talk about the trailer for the new Thor movie. Of course, I talk about Survivor, you know, the weekly recap of Survivor, all that fun stuff for the community. So you can check that out if you're a Patreon supporter at the $5 tier. Um, also, The Deepest Dive on Chrono Cross Part 2 is now live. Thanks, everybody, for celebrating Chrono across with us we are creating the best most thorough discussion about the game on the internet and us chrono fans need to stick together so thanks everybody for playing along submitting great comments it's been a fun ride with rebecca valentine from ign um also on friday we have a new episode of crossfade our music podcast with matt helgeson and jason daphnis um in this episode coming up on friday it's them unpacking their Bandcamp collections just what they've bought throughout the years and just kind of dissecting what's going on with that a kind of the epic news is kind of jog that back into our minds 
Um, also, a quick uh, heads up, I was on the DLC podcast with Jeff Kanata and Christian Spicer this last week. So if you want to hear more of me talking about Playdate and also uh, Chrono Cross and also how much I love uh, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, all that stuff is on the DLC podcast. So thanks to them for having me on. That was super fun. Um, and a reminder, Trivia Tower is coming up uh, and it's going to be our community versus Kit and Krista's community. The Nintendo Fan Off. Is that what that would be called? Anyways, it's going to be on Thursday, uh, April 28th at 7.30 p.m. Central. So you can jump in and compete if you're at the $2 tier on Patreon. Jump in, please. Get us that much closer to hitting our goal. We're only 30 people away. Uh, Kelsey, what do you got going on? Uh, I've got a podcast. I remembered this time. Yes. Um, called the Video Game History Hour, which you can listen to wherever you're getting this podcast, probably. And uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Kelsluin and follow the Video Game History Foundation. And uh, if you're in Seattle, Pink Gorilla Games for video games. Sweet. Janet, got anything big going on? Uh, yeah, just check out my Playdate review uh, and other content over on pen2pixels.com. Also, have a YouTube channel under the same name. Um, I did a review of it. I did an un- unboxing video as well. Um, and I have both the written and the video review. Please check out both. I worked really hard. It's really hard doing video content when you are not a video producer. Um, <laughs> but that being said, I think I... Um, I'm really proud of like some of the ways that I showed off some of the gameplay um, as well as like looking at what the device is like to use in practice in your day to day in your house at night in different lighting settings and things like that. So uh, I like how it turned out and hopefully you also get some entertainment or value out of it. So please check that out. Awesome. And thanks everybody who supports us on Patreon, especially everybody who supports us at the Game Champion tier. People like prettygoodprinting.com, otherwise known as Seth, um, they chose, they could choose any game under the sun to champion and they chose The Incredible Machine. Do you, does anybody know The Incredible Machine? Yeah, it's an old PC game. Yeah, I didn't know it, but it looks awesome. It's such a cool choice. Uh, Andrew Valla chose Final Fantasy XV. Dominic Sachoki is officially the champion of Life is Strange 2. And a person after my own heart, Andre Silva chose Dark Cloud as the game that they're championing. And I know we've been teasing it for a while. Some people have been asking, it seems like you're building up to something with all these games that people are championing. Uh, yes, everybody. I hope you're ready. Because on Thursday, we are going to launch... The Game Championship. What this is, is everybody who has championed a game so far, we are putting them in a giant bracket, blasting it out on Twitter. It is going to be a big old bracket. You're going to vote for whichever game you want and get down to one, whichever game is the one left standing that people have chosen as the game champions. Um, We are going to create some form of content around that game. So that's what you're voting for. You're voting for the coolest game or the game you most want to see us make content for. And whoever had championed that game will give them the option of talking to them, talking to us about what that content will be. They can join us on that content if they're comfortable with it. But we can make a video essay. We can do a let's play. We can do a lot of things just as a one-off piece of content. So check us out on Twitter, MinMax Show, and help vote to determine who will win the big game championship? We'll do this every couple months, and that'll be a good a good dumping ground or a good funnel for all these game champions that people are following for. So hopefully you all enjoy that. It could be anything. It's going to be a fierce competition. Um, all right. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. We appreciate it. Tell a friend about MinMax. We appreciate that as well. And uh, Kyle, Kelsey, Janet, thank you for being here and doing a great job as always. Thank you. Hey. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Let's go.